Hey everyone, it's 1 p.m. Eastern. This is episode 15 of Versus Media Live. Brunches for assholes. I hope you all have like your your bacon topped Bloody Mary, your, your piece of melon that just goes on the plate. You don't really know what it's for. You don't want it, but it's brunch, and we're all assholes. Uh, I'm Stephen O. Miller. Uh, we're just doing kind of an open topic today, um, as you can hear my my soothing baritone morning voice. Uh, a lot going on, obviously, this week. Elon Musk continues to be the media's new Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, we also have Joe Biden's fun new uh, governance board on disinformation. And uh, the new director of this thing, Nina Jankowitz, had herself a week. Uh, I noted, like, it feels like this woman just kind of came out of the woodwork and made herself this job. Like the administration is kind of denying her and they don't know who she is and Jen Psaki's in the dark and I guess we'll check on her old TikToks, I guess. Um, I was wondering aloud, even on Twitter, I'm like, where did this like come from? Like this new agency was just created and she's appointed to it. Like who, who did all of this? Like, does she not, is this a position she needs to testify in front of Congress? Does she need to be voted on? They just kind of created this thing out of whole cloth. And uh, someone pointed me to uh, Secretary Mayorkas, who said while he was testifying this week that they just created the agency. Like, yeah, that's just what we're doing. Um, several people, myself included, had a fun time digging up some of her old gems about Hunter Biden, about the Steele dossier. Uh, Jerry Dunleavy at the Washington Examiner also noted that uh, she, she basically came out against the lab leak theory in 2020 and even the uh, China state officials on Twitter were pushing her tweets. So that's fun. This is off to a great start. Um, a couple things, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of not setting a topic. We'll still do open, but so, something that is interesting as we saw the media reaction and now you have time magazine and Charlotte Alter jumping in saying, you know, why do tech bros care about free speech anyway? And I'm doing air quotes there because they put free speech in quotes. Nina Jankowitz this month has written a book and it's basically about how to, how to survive being a woman online. And she was on NPR uh, and talking about, uh, she says, I shudder to think about if free speech absolutists were taking over more platforms and what that would look like for marginalized communities, which are already shouldering disproportionate amounts of abuse. And as I stated on my podcast, where this is going, and I hope people are duly prepared for this, is that free speech is going to be white supremacy. And we cannot allow it on platforms in the name of equity because I don't know George Floyd was murdered or something. Uh, she goes on several times to say this. She says, I discussed why free speech absolutism means the silencing of women in marginalized communities. So they're using the same equity language that they're using in, you know, Ibram Kendiism and Robin DiAngeloism. She also wrote in Wired magazine that she essentially believes that online insults should be prosecutable. And I'm going to read a paragraph from this. She says, meanwhile, Congress should reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act and include provisions against online gender-based harassment. The 2019 uh, VAWA Reauthorization Act never received a vote in the Senate, leaving its crucial protections for victims of gender-based violence lapsed. Notice she uh, has gone in three sentences from 
including provisions against gender-based harassment to gender-based violence. Violence, harassment became, uh, online insults became harassment, which then became violence in four sentences. She says, when the new Congress considers reauthorization, lawmakers should add provisions to support targets of online gender-based harassment, including budgetary allocations to build law enforcement awareness about sexist threats online. Congress also needs to set an example, not only by calling out gender-based abuse and harassment when they see or experience it, but also by not engaging in it themselves, including by not sharing gendered disinformation or slurs. That obviously is a reference to pronouns and and uh, dead naming of trans individuals. And what she's effectively advocating here is the prosecution of anyone who uses wrong pronouns or dead naming trans individuals. Um, basically, as I said, where this is going is, and if you've seen our media freak out over Elon Musk, it's not hard to reach this conclusion that free speech is an outdated notion of white slaveholders. Uh, Time Magazine essentially went as far to to state the same, as I noted with uh, Charlotte Alter. Let me find this. La, la, la. La, la, la. In Time Magazine's tweet for this piece, freedom of speech has become a paramount concern of the techno-moral universe. Freedom of speech is in quotes, but quote free speech in the 21st century means something very different than it did in the 18th century when the founders enshrined it in the Constitution. So, as I said, you can start acting accordingly that this is where these people are going. That one, disinformation will be anything that goes against the uh, proverbial thing of the moment for the political left. Whatever that thing may be, to counter it will be labeled disinformation. And not only will it be labeled disinformation, you will be a white supremacist for making such arguments such as free speech. This wouldn't all be that scary. This woman could just be written off as another online lunatic and deranged theater kid, except she's now been, what all reports point to, given a board position, a director position of a government agency inside the Department of Homeland Security. Um, Whether or not this gets off the ground or not is going to be interesting. I found Saki's comments to be enlightening, where Saki didn't even know who this woman was, apparently. Uh, she was asked about it by Charlie Spearing from Breitbart, and she said, "I'll have to, I'll have to get back to you about this individual. She doesn't know anything about this girl." Um, the fact that this again deranged theater girl was kind of chosen to head this role shows you again how just terminally online the Biden administration is. Uh, we're seeing that obviously with student loan forgiveness. So that's just a couple of opening thoughts. Uh, with this governance board. And like I said, uh, I'm generally not someone who sounds the alarm bells too often on this kind of stuff. But when I see someone making the argument that free free speech absolutism will mean the marginalization of minority communities and and women, um, this is the same argument they've been making on several fronts. And so it certainly looks like that is where they're headed. So again, open topic will go for about an hour uh, or maybe a little bit over. Um, so feel free to jump in. I want to hear your thoughts on topics of the week, culture, politics, media. Um, try to kind of keep it on topic, obviously. But feel free to jump in. Um, I only have one person up here now, so this could go very short um, or it could go very long. So it's completely up to you guys. 
As I said, this is a uh, Brunches for Assholes weekend edition of Versus Media Live, and uh, I'm just going to jump right into this. Matt, one of my regulars, uh, tell me what's on your mind. Matt, have you been watching the NFL draft? Are you happy with your team? Yeah, I'm a Patriots fan. We took, we picked some guy that uh, should have won the fourth round. Very yeah, you picked a strange you picked a strange guy in the first round. That's his name. <laughs> yeah, I know. By the way, um, yeah, we picked we picked Duggar two years ago, and he was from like a, a Division two football team. And Duggar is one of our better defensive players. So I don't know. You just kind of have to go with it. Um, I'm a, I think I'm like very similar to you. I I pretty much like I believe in free speech, like absolutely. You had a caller that was very interesting on this week. Uh, the woman worked in the government, and I forget what division she mentioned, but I think the biggest concern that I have is she mentioned that basically the Biden administration is solely focused on two things, misinformation and equity. And I, and I know it's a policy question. I know you're a media guy, but I'm more concerned about how long, if the GOP doesn't win or the Republican candidate doesn't win in 2024, how long will it take us to roll? Will it take to roll back all these equity policies that are being basically enabled? And the biggest thing is my most concerning thing is this like DHS thing is very similar to stuff that's happening in Canada and Europe. Um, and like, if this shit starts to get like implemented throughout the government, can anybody eventually like executive order it out or write new policies that supersede it? Like how, how hard will that be eventually? And I have a, one comment about your podcast. Uh, so if you want to chat about that, then I'll just ask you a quick follow-up. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, writing out policy, obviously, it's, you know, as I noted, this, this huge thing with equity started in August of 2020. That's when that word kind of landed on, our, on the political, you know, spectrum and the lexicon of our vocabulary. It wasn't really being spoken about until then. And that obviously was a reaction to Black Lives Matter protests and riots. And we saw kind of throughout society, suddenly you had companies hiring, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, inclusion experts and implementing this language throughout their companies. And then we saw it obviously happening throughout the government. And pretty much as soon as the Biden administration came in, you saw it being permeated throughout their administration as well. Every talking point that went out through a Democrat party had the word equity in it. And you had Kamala Harris tweeting out that stupid graph, that stupid cartoon that they all use about standing on the boxes. And as far as implementation, well, I mean, it's not really in any law because it has to be passed through Congress. So you look at it as, as an exec, as an executive, uh, I guess an executive implementation into uh, policies. And, you know, we've seen that obviously through the Department of Defense. We've seen it through the Department of State and how they use the language and they do that stuff. Um, so, I mean, as far as getting rid of it, you pretty much just change the administration over and you get a Republican who comes in and says, okay, we're done with this nonsense. We're done with, you know, giving diversity of equity and inclusion experts, you know, six figure salaries to come in and overhaul these departments. I just saw something, I think it was from Wesley Yang, who showed that um, colleges who are bringing in diversity of equity inclusion counselors are getting, they're getting six-figure salaries. And then you wonder why, you know, students are having to pay tuition out the ass, which we're going to be looking at forgiving student loans. 
so as far as like getting rid of it, I think it's also just it's it's a matter of changing politics. It's a matter of changing administration. I think a larger yeah. question is how do you get rid of it in media? How do you, how do you get how do you get a how do you get away from an entire media complex which seems to be endorsing this idea of going against media or going against free speech absolutism? We saw this in Ben Collins at NBC who is coming out in defense of Nina Jankowicz. I guess she trended yesterday with the name Joseph, you know, Goebbels or whatever like that. And so the reporters are, are very upset that the new director of Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security Governance Board is having to take some online grief for her past stances. And so you see where they're at. You have an entire media industry who's on board with this. And that's, to me, the bigger problem is... How do we get away from that in, in what looks to be an attitude that is permeated its way throughout all of our media? Yeah, I think there's two answers to that. One, you need like a social media pillar to go, and Twitter hopefully is that with Musk. And then secondly, you need one of like the CNNs to clean house and maybe just go back to straight news reporting. So maybe that's a, a couple of like small victories. Um, I'll hop off real quick, but one thing, I'll increase my subscription if I really offend you, but I don't think I'm going to, and it's fucking hilarious to me. I love how you can't pronounce people's names. And I know that it's really hard because you have to read all these rando people in the media and that you, it's fucking hilarious to me when we listen to your podcast. Are you aware of how hard it is and that you struggle with pronouncing a lot of people's random names? <laughs> yes. The, okay. Another part of this, another part of this is it's gotten to a point of self parody where I do it on purpose sometimes. And you guys just I, have to guess. I, um, I thought that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 everybody has their thing, and you know, um, the good news is, is you know, on reading about mispronunciations and someone who's not naturally trained in communications, uh, who somehow found their life doing a podcast, I'm just like, fuck. Um, one thing I read about that is Miller, Miller. Um, one of the things that they say is if you mispronounce words a lot, it's because you read a lot of words. And so it's at least I'm well read, I guess. I guess that we can take that away. Yeah. Um, so part of Miller, it, part of it is, just, yeah. It's just a stutter. Yeah, it's, it's just a stutter. stutter. <laughs> yeah. My brain is by no means applesauce. It's, it's simply just a stutter. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's the funniest thing about me is, yeah, I struggle with mispronouncing names, mispronouncing names here and there, but I also have a photographic memory. So it's like if, if I, if I see someone's face, I will know that I've seen them before. Um, and that's bailed me out a lot of times, but uh, names I have a problem with and also mispronunciation. And it's gotten to a point where I was getting a ribbing on it from some of my podcast listeners where I just, now I just sometimes do it on purpose just to see if, uh, if they catch on. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's, that comes with the territory of not being like a, a naturally trained communications major and being forced to, to talk to you plebes for a living. So, uh, anyway, up next is, uh, Brian, uh, like I said, it's open topic. Give me some of your thoughts on some of the stuff happening in media culture. We can talk about film. We can talk about anything you want. Uh, it's brunches for asshole. So hopefully Brian is an asshole. Well, we have dead air. So it looks like Brian is off to his, off to a very good start of being an asshole. Uh, Brian, if you're first here thing, there's a microphone right down at the bottom. There he is. There, there we go. go. There we Thanks, go. Thanks, Brian. What's on your mind? Uh, we could do either Brian or, like my father-in-law will say, Brian. So either one of those will work. Um, I don't think I can go full French over brunch. That would be that would be asshole overload. 
a little bit too pretentious. That's that's fine. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I know this has kind of been uh, beaten to death with the whole Elon Musk take over Twitter, everything, blah, 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 freak out. But one thing that I really don't think has been broached much, at least among our media elite betters, is the actual concerning ties he would have with China. Um, I know he has a pretty tight relationship with China from a supplier perspective with Tesla's batteries and obviously, you know, the the sales market over there for everything, all all vehicles, whatever, whatnot. Um, I mean, I I don't think it's too far-fetched to see, you know, the Chinese government putting pressure on him, you know, using using those tactics there, right? Pressure on supply lines, pressure on, on market sales in order to, you know, get him to clamp down on her, you know, at least uh, soft pressure, um, anti-China speech on Twitter, or kind of like, you know, we, you know we've seen Disney <laughs> kowtow to China and their, all of their demands and requests to, to make things palatable for their market. But I, I think that's one thing that really hasn't been actually discussed that could be legitimately uh, threatening to some, some of the more free speech absolutists on the Twitter spurs, Twitterverse. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I'm not a huge Elon stan on the right. Uh, I've said that prior that his ties to his his footsie with China is something that is concerning to me. And you raise up a couple of good points, which is how does that translate over to Twitter and social media? And um, I've always said that if you're going to kick Donald Trump off Twitter, then I think you need to be kicking off Chinese state accounts and Iranian state accounts as well. Um, and if you're going to allow those accounts on Twitter, then you should be allowing Donald Trump on Twitter. Um, but you do raise a couple of good points in the sense of, uh, how, how could they pressure him as far as Tesla factories in China and the supply chain over in China and in his purchasing power over in China, could they pressure him to turn Twitter into, like you say, kind of a propaganda tool for them or to go soft on Chinese narratives? It doesn't even have to be Chinese state accounts. It, it can be talking about the lab leak theory, for instance. It can be talking about concentration camps, for instance. That's all stuff that I that I do have legitimate concerns about, and that's why I'm not, you know, yas-kinging all of him on, on his tweets and stuff like that. Um, it, it is also interesting, Brian brings up a good point, uh, it's interesting that the media hasn't criticized him on that as well. And that's largely because the media has just as many investments tied up in China uh, as he does. Uh, Bloomberg, for instance, Washington Post, Bezos, New York Times. These are all people who, de- you know, believe or, or depend on a good chunk of the Chinese market. And that's why you're not seeing that criticism of him coming from the media. It is interesting that they they are critical of free speech absolutism, but not critical of business ties to China, because, of course, they all have that. But Brian does bring up a good point. And how would that look like if, you know, in the future, if Twitter, if he doesn't bend Twitter to, you know, China's will, uh, which American companies have a very funny way of doing um, what kind of pressure could they put on him as far as his other companies, as far as Tesla, as far as SpaceX? Um, yeah, I, I think it's a legitimate concern, and I don't think the right, the political right, is addressing it enough. Yeah, I think that's just going to be something that kind of a wait and see, but I definitely do not have a ton of confidence that, uh, you know, given his, I guess he put his footsie with China, um, that he's going to stand up hard on that. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. Who knows? But, uh, uh, probably the single biggest concern I have over all of this. 
And I say that as a very casual Twitter user who just kind of doom scrolls and enjoys it that way. So I guess. We'll yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, somebody, somebody brought up about why is the, di- why is this new disinformation board not focusing on TikTok, which is obviously owned by uh, ByteDance, which is a Chinese company, which is harvesting all of your data off of TikTok. Um, and that's again, a legitimate point when, you know, Donald Trump, and the Trump administration said they want to shut down TikTok or they at least want to look at it or look at the ownership of it. Uh, he took enormous criticism again from the media on that. And that's because you have media outlets that are also enormously invested in TikTok. The Washington Post has an entire fucking department dedicated to making TikToks. And you also cannot underestimate that when they're going after an account called Libs of TikTok with Taylor Lorenz at the Washington Post, uh, which, you know, highlights some of the uh, cringier moments and cringier corners of that app. But it is interesting that, you know, that app does not come up when we talk about disinformation. And my wildest conspiracy theory is I kind of believe that all of TikTok is a Chinese psyop meant to pretty much destroy us from the inside out. That's kind of my kookiest conspiracy theory. But uh, again, with some of these platforms, it is interesting to see what they focus on and what they don't focus on. And like Brian said, uh, I, I think that that is a 100% legitimate concern. And it's one of the reasons why I think the political right should stop kind of doing their we stand a king uh, in, in any serious manner. Because, again, we don't know how it's going to shape out. So, Brian, do you have any closing thoughts or anything else? No, that, that was about it. Cool, man. But I appreciate seeing you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for Brunches for Assholes. Jeffrey. I think we finally got you here, and I'm not skipping over you, and I think you figured out how to work it, so welcome to Brunches for Assholes. What is your most asshole brunch Hello. dish? Uh, hello? Yep, we got you. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, I was just, uh, I saw a uh, tweet this morning from the Bulwarks, and Kathy Young, and... Uh, yeah, big surprise. She's uh, cautiously optimistic about the uh, disinformation bureau, and uh, that sort of got me sorry. to thinking about how hey, so sorry. much you, of, you broke up. You might you know, have broken up on my end. What? I heard you say somebody from Bulwark or said something was cautiously optimistic. Who who did you see said that? They're uh, they're resident libertarian Kathy Young. Uh, okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it got me to thinking about how you know it, it was. You know, it originated really within conservatism, but, you know, it's starting to spread to libertarianism that all of these people like, you know, once upon a time, conservatism was a set thing. You know, it was a definable thing. It had certain principles and whatnot associated with it. And nowadays you can't find anybody who can tell you what conservatism is because all of the people who call themselves conservative, so many of them, rather than espousing conservative principles, therefore, you know, thereby being a conservative, instead say, I am a conservative, therefore, the things I say are conservative principles. Yeah, I think that there's obviously in the in, in the media, there's a strain of what I call acceptable conservatism. And uh, that's generally the, the conservatives who are accepted by media. And that's a two way relationship they, that goes both ways. They they kind of believe that they need MSNBC and CNNs and the views and those things to basically combat the strain of conservatism that they don't like, which is basically Trumpism. Um, and so what you get is you get 
again, what I call acceptable conservatism, you know, it's going along to get along. And, you know, those people are people who hate me as much as I hate them, because these are people who embrace the worst parts of our media that elevated Donald Trump. I always make fun of Tom Nichols as much as I hate picking on people in wheelchairs, um, you know, for people who beg for Morning Joe's table scraps or people who appear on Morning Joe when Morning Joe did more than anyone in our media to elevate Donald Trump and try to hand him the nomination. And they really, really don't like it when you point that out to them. Um, they also really don't like it when you point out, you know, that these are largely a group of people that steered the GOP right to the moment where it is right now. They just simply got off the bus or they had the bus hijacked from them and they're kind of upset about that. So um, I have very little patience for that. You know, again, people who embrace that aspect of media. We just saw Alyssa Farah on The View advocating gun control. And I just simply say to those people, I hope the checks are worth it. Um, so that kind of goes along with, you know, the, the bulwark style of, yes, we're, we're cautiously optimistic about this government AG on, agency on disinformation. Well, if you have any sort of libertarian principles that even the title should make you kind of, you know, your, your eyeball twitch a little bit. So again, the, the whole idea behind it is, you know, people who go along to get along to use the media to, you know, get their ideas out in the acceptable way of conservatism and the media loves no conservatives better than conservatives who will beat up on other conservatives. And so that's basically all that is. Uh, Jeff, do you have any, do you have anything else? Anything? Uh, go ahead. Well, uh, you, you brought up Tom Nichols and you know, something else I saw on Twitter this morning. He uh, retweeted Tim Miller's announcement of his new book, Why We Did It, which is apparently going to tell us all how we got Trump. Well, uh, one big I'm way sure we got it's Trump probably is on your pre-order is, list is already. Because of, is because of former spokespeople for the RNC. And, and those are people who will point the finger at anyone else than, you know, people who literally worked for the Republican Party. Also, don't name your book after something that, you know, was planned after O.J. Simpson's title. It's, it's not it's not a good uh, it's not a good thing to remind people of. All right. Th th thank you, Steve. Cool. Cool, Jeff. Good to hear from you. Go on to Joseph. Joseph, my man, how are you this, oh. this morning? Are, are we having our asshole brunch dish? What's your most asshole-ish brunch dish? So Eggs Benedict? Uh, I don't really have one, but... I With salmon? That's yeah. a pretty That's a pretty asshole brunch dish. Yeah, having uh, my... Drinking my tea with my pinky in the air. I always picture you for that sort, Joseph. <laughs> What's on your mind? Um, I guess I'll kind of... <clears throat> kind of talk about like you know media and stuff well not necessarily mainstream media but kind of like you know um, entertainment media so um which hbo miniseries do you prefer band of brothers or the pacific uh band of brothers although i'm not i'm not as high on band of brothers as a lot of people are uh i i i have watched i've watched it a few times i i kind of struggle it with it throughout the middle um there's this weird thing with Band of Brothers where it starts out and you're always just like, okay, who's going to die? Um, <laughs> and I, I hadn't read the book, but um, that's kind of, I kind of found myself watch as you watch it. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of gross in a weird way. It's like, all right, who's, who's going to be next to go is going to be that dude. It's going to be that little short 
Italian guy or whatever, or that yeah. guy is going to be the tall. And so it's kind of like, eh. Uh, but I do like Band of Brothers. I, I, I've tried to rewatch it, but like I said, I think it gets a little bit long in, in the middle. Um, but again, when you're trying to do justice to those those guys and their relationships, and obviously the war and stuff like that, I think it's you have to kind of tell the whole story. So that's just more of my complaint. It's not really a complaint overall. So yeah, that I understand. Yeah, I've always kind of like preferred it, and I've gone um, this past you know month or two kind of rewatching both of them and kind of rereading the books that they're based off of. Like I'm currently reading with the old brief by Eugene Sledge that was um, used as a basis for his story in the Pacific. And I think like one of my biggest problems with Pacific, not so much as Band of Brothers, is like, I think Pacific takes a little bit of liberties and stuff to like, you know, kind of tell the story. Whereas like Band of Brothers, it's stood faithful to the, the guys and their story. Like, like, even, like, if, say, like, the weakest point of Band of Brothers, it doesn't make you angry. Whereas the weakest point in the Pacific is more or less, like, I guess, the third episode when they're uh, recuperating in Melbourne, Australia. And then you have um, the train scene where the guys are testing out their rifles. <laughs> and one of them shoots a cow. And one of the actual veterans pointed out that that would have never happened because, like, you would not have, they would not have allowed the Marines to carry, like, live uh, live ammo and rifles onto the train, and if somebody did shoot a cow, they would have gotten court-martial court for that, so just small stuff like that bothered me, but it's like, as I've gotten older, I've learned to, like, enjoy it a little more. I think it's a solid series, but I think, like, Banner Brothers, like, story structure is a little more stronger. Have you seen uh, Have you seen Terrence Malick's A Thin Red Line, which is basically about the Pacific, the Pacific battles? I have heard about it. I you need you need to watch that. It's basically it's more about war's effect on nature, but it's set in the it's set in the World War II Pacific against the Japanese, and it's it's it was one that I saw I saw it in the theater way back when, and it's billing all the actors. So it's like it's billing this all star roster of actors. Like at the time, George Clooney was really big, and he's like number two build, and he has literally a fifteen second scene in the movie, if that. Um, and uh, it's what's really funny about the thin red line is the the way that it, it the way that it kind of pokes at the audience. So, like I said, it's kind of it's kind of the effect of war on nature. So the opening shot is great. It's this, it's this open slow fade in this alligator kind of just sinking into the water, and uh, and then one of the just one of the funniest thing not funny but one of the more illuminating things about the film is there's a scene where these dudes are just getting blown away left and right in this tall grass and their dudes are limbs are flying off and heads are flying off and guys are getting blown up in the air. And I saw this in the theater and then it cuts to a shot of like a bird, which is, you know, charred and it's struggling and it's dying. And everyone in the theater just goes, Oh, 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 like that. And it just, it's one of those moments where it's like, you just realize how desensitized we've all become to kind of things like this, where it's like this, this tiny bird is just getting ready to just die. And that's the thing that gets the visceral reaction out of everyone in the movie theater. Not, not the dudes getting their limbs blown to hell. It's, it's the tiny little bird. And I always like moments like that when filmmakers kind of turn it on the audience so if you haven't seen that one you need you need to see that one i never got into the pacific because it always just to me felt like they were capitalizing off of band of brothers it was like you know the the world war ii marvel cinematic universe 
And so I never, I never really got into it to be honest with you. I don't think I've even, I saw maybe a half of one episode and that was it. I think you should reconsider it. Cause I think it is a solid series despite like my few problems with like the story. Like I like, yes, it is kind of like capitalizing off of the success of band of brothers, which uh, interestingly enough, they, I think one of the son, uh, one of the sons of the veterans said that the show almost didn't happen because Tom Hanks kind of went into panic mode because uh, if you remember the movie Flags of Our Fathers, directed by Clint Eastwood, it like bombed at the box office, even though it was kind of like viewed favorably reviewed for yeah. by critics. But there was kind of like a panic moment where they're like, "Oh, maybe World War II is not popular anymore." Like, which thankfully he reconsidered to like continue doing it. But that was always kind of like interesting to me that like somehow like uh, that kind of movie, movie Flag of Our Father, kind of like failed the way. It did in the box office, which is an okay movie, but it's not, like, that memorable. Like, if you try to go on YouTube and find clips of it, those clips don't get much many views. I think uh, Letters to Iwo Jima gets more attention than, say, Flags for Our Father, even though it is an interesting story. Yeah, I, I've i seen Flags for Our Fathers. I, I, I have not seen Letters from Iwo Jima. Um, and I don't really have an excuse for why not, for someone who's kind of a cinephile. Um, I just never, I didn't see it in the theater and I just never have sat down to watch it. So um, that's, that's my feelings. Now you have one to watch and now I have one to watch. <laughs> equivalent, equivalent exchange. Yeah. Cool, man. And anything right, else, anything, any, any topic on media? Do you have any thoughts on Joe Biden's board of governance of disinformation, Joseph? Uh, uh, my quick thought is that I think it's like horse shit, and especially the lady that's kind of petty. <laughs> especially when she's uh, agreeing with the the bitch uh, Parker Malloy, who blocked me on my original account. Well, don't feel too special. Parker blocks everybody. Joseph. <laughs> cool. Uh, All right, man. All right, I'm gonna move on. Cheers. Good, good to hear from you. Yay! We're, we finally are breaking up the sausage fest. For the, for the brunch asshole. Catherine, uh, you're up. Like I said, it's open topic, uh, but I said a couple of topics, so any thoughts you have on any of that stuff, uh, feel free. Hi. Thanks, Stephen. Um, let's see. My favorite brunch dish is salmon quiche. Uh, what's your what's what's your most pretentious brunch brunch dish? Or is that it? The, sam- the salmon quiche is yeah, pretty high up there. That's, that's big brunch. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty high up there. That's pretty high up on the pretentious brunch dish list i know it okay so um this office of disinformation okay this is just the latest thing the latest development we don't quite know what it is yet but you know we've all been seeing for years now how power is getting used in this country right it's more and more authoritarian you know more and more suppression of dissent um i think it's been really repressive with with the way they've treated Julian Assange and the January 6th protesters. And, you know, the game is they always exercise this power in the name of protecting marginalized people, whether it's by gender or race, but it can really be anybody. I mean, even someone rich and powerful can be, you know, regarded as someone that has to be protected from free speech. And I think all this power gets used also with, um, as much joint cooperation between government and, co- and corporations, right? That's how it seems to me. And so I'm wondering, when does this get called fascism? 
I'm wondering what you think of that term, um, how it's been used or how useful it is in the world we're living in. And I thank you for any comments or thoughts on that. Uh, the problem with fascism is much like any other word with an ism behind it is it gets tossed around casually and therefore loses meaning, much like racism or sexism or anything else. I think in, as far as uh, we in this country, we have very rarely experienced actual fascism. Um, there was an interesting thread today from Jonathan Chait of New York Mag who was trying to basically – poke holes in the narrative of Obama's IRS targeting Tea Party groups. And he, you know, he linked to his own writing and both myself and several others this morning took it upon ourselves to uh, duly debunk that narrative. And um, there are a few examples of it throughout in in recent modern history. That is one of them, the IRS targeting Americans for their political beliefs and the IRS being levied by politicians and presidents such as Obama to do so. And people forget this just wasn't, this wasn't about targeting Tea Party. This was about slowing 501c3s because this happened right after Obama just got his head handed to him in the midterms. And there was a, there was a meeting in the Oval Office with Chuck Schumer, and I believe Lois Lerner was also there, and so was Louis Free, the head of the IRS, and nobody knows what, what was said in that meeting. Well, what you can safely assume in that meeting was Obama saying, you need to stop these groups. We need to put a stop to them because they're out, they're raising money, they're backing candidates. And some of these candidates was the tea, were the actual Tea Party surgeon candidates, people like Rubio, Cruz, Rand Paul, for instance. Um, Kevin McCarthy was one of those guys who ousted, um, oh, fuck, who was Eric Cantor was the guy's name who Eric Cantor was in line to be, you know, the, the next speaker of the house. And so that to me, again, when you ever use government power against private citizens, that to me is a very basic definition of fascism. Um, if you want to look at in tech, obviously the, the, the halting of the Hunter Biden story, which is still, we still don't have a full account of. It's interesting to watch this with Ben Smith. Ben Smith had texts from a Twitter executive who wrote it off as the, the, the Daily Mail story. These fucking guys don't even know what story that they, they blocked and said it was Jack who did all of it. It was Jack who made the decisions, whatever. Well, Jack is on Twitter defending this, saying, when, we, when I found out, we, all, we corrected it immediately. What do you mean when you found out? Like, found out from who, you fucking hippie? Who, who, did, who did you find out that this happened? Because he makes it sound like somebody at Twitter did it, he heard about it and then came running down the hall to stop it from happening. And then he won't answer again who at Twitter did it and who told Twitter to do it. Those are the two questions I'd like to know. So as far as like actual fascism in the United States, and I heard you mention January 6th, and, and I'll say I'm pro throw every single one of those fucking yahoos that walked into the Capitol that day in jail. I'm not asking for 30 year sentences. A couple of months should be okay. I'm, I'm satisfied with that. Um, But something that I will say is kind of alarming to me is as I'm watching the January 6th committee, um, you're starting to see subpoenas being issued for people who are not government officials. Uh, A good a good example is Kimberly Guffoyle. I'm certainly no fan of Kimberly Guffoyle. I don't I don't I don't I don't I don't watch her. I don't like it. I don't like whatever. But she's not a government official. She is a private citizen. And the reason she's being subpoenaed to me is she was backstage at January 6th. Well, 
if you're running out of people, so you you have Donald Trump, you have Mike Pence, you have all these people you're subpoenaing, and if you get down to Kimberly fucking Goyfoyle, who you think must hold the key to trying to overthrow the government, then there's something wrong there. And I've talked to a few people, uh, I won't mention names, but, you know, other people in media and, and people who are law and more and more experienced at this stuff than me. And I'm like, does this, does this make you uncomfortable? Like, for the most part, I'm okay with what January 6th committee's doing. I, I, it's clearly politicized. They're clearly doing it to, you know, head up with the midterms as Raskin is doing. Um, but I'm kind of like, when you start subpoenaing private citizens, I get real uneasy with that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, and I am, I'm only going into that because I heard you mention January 6th, but as far as like actual fascism in the United States, um, I, I'd like to see more of what this governance board plans to do and what that means with disinformation. They, one of the areas they said was migration. And that means obviously immigration. And I'm kind of like, okay, why why do you need a disinformation board to kind of hover over immigration? Well, in my opinion, that has to do with climate change. They're going to tell you that the reason uh, we have so many migrants coming, which Title 42 is ending, and you even have Democrats going, holy shit, like, what are you doing? Mark Kelly, obviously, is one who's in danger of losing his seat already, um, is hugely outspoken against the Biden administration ending Title 42, and he even he says, we don't have the resources at the border to stop this migration that's coming. Well, they're going to tell you that the reason it's happening is because of climate change. And we've already seen this disinformation label happen around climate. And so that's where I think that that's going to go. And anyone who offers a alternate explanation for why migrants are coming, and it's because of Joe Biden, um, they're, they're going to get pushback from the media and from this disinformation board. So... Again, I'm going to be surprised, and I'm kind of with a couple of people who have noted that this might not even get off the ground because of the pushback they're seeing, especially right this close to an election. So um, that that's probably my best answer I can give you about fascism in general. We've never really seen it. And like I said, as far as uh, it, it's a term that gets tossed around by both sides, and because it gets tossed around so much, it ultimately loses any real important meaning. And that's kind of a problem because when it does rear its real head, uh, we're not going to be really prepared for it. So, Vanessa, welcome to Brunches for Assholes. Um, I think it was Vanessa who mentioned the movie The Cursed. And I could be wrong about this, but I just mentioned I, I just watched this the other night. And for the most part, I thought it was okay. Uh, it's a good, it's a good, just simple spin on, a, on an old werewolf yarn. Um, great cinematography, great direction. So I'm kind of curious to see what that filmmaker does next. Anyway, welcome to Brunches for Assholes, Vanessa. Thank you, Stephen. How are you? I'm okay. I'm still, I'm still fighting off a little bit of a cough. And so I get that in the morning. Uh, I get that kind of old man hack in the morning. And, uh, so I still have it a little bit and that's why I'm, I've been recording later in the day because then I, my, my voice returns and it's like, okay, now I can sit down and sound normal. Yeah. So I'm confused. Are we the assholes or are we doing this while the assholes are somewhere else having brunch? Uh, it's both. This is our asshole brunch. Oh, okay. So Great. It's, it's a, it's a, anybody who's doing anything at this hour to me is an asshole. So what? Uh, basically week, weekend time from about 1 PM to like 3 PM. If you're out in public and you're sitting at a restaurant, you're just an asshole. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't have a favorite brunch dish 
except I really do like those obnoxious Bloody Marys that have all the accoutrement. On yeah, it's them. like a salad. Like yeah, no, it's got like bacon yeah. or like a slider cheeseburger and a stick of cocktail shrimp and in, in a, in a, a donut in a, in a full lime and yes. a celery <laughs> and then like probably some pickled green beans and yeah, like you said, they'll throw a shrimp or an oyster in the bottom of it. It's like a whole yeah. meal. Oh, no, just like the the gigantic ones though that are just comically. Yeah, th- th- those are pretty pretentious. I know, but they're so fun to eat, especially when you're hungover. Yeah, if there's if you want to talk, yeah, I mean Brooklyn, where I lived for ten years, is pretty much the the the, the king city of pretentious Bloody Mary assholes, and <laughs> that's where I was introduced. Also in Portland, there's a couple places that do that where they just they shove as many vegetables as possible on a toothpick. Yeah, and. Uh, the the problem with that is is you get less drink, you get like less of the Bloody Mary because they have to fit all of this shit in a glass. And so, I, I felt the need one time, I think in Portland, to point that out to them. Like uh, once you lift this, like it's I think I think one place had like a Nike on a toothpick, like a shoe, <laughs> and you just pull it out of the glass, and then you see that the glass is like half full. And I'm like, what are you doing, guys? Like, come on, yeah. like put this on the plate, quit wasting my time, fill my fucking glass up. Yeah. Um, so I was going to talk about Quentin Tarantino's wacky twin sister. Who's, uh, (laughs) that, that comparison is getting made and I, I haven't weighed in on it, but I would even go so far as that she's the version of Quentin Tarantino from dusk till dawn after he's transformed into the vampire with a giant head. Yeah, I I didn't I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, she's a dead ringer. And then someone else finally brought it up, and I was like, thank you. I didn't want to have to be the one to say this. <laughs> yeah, I'm generally but, I generally um, try to veer away from appearances, especially on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I saw that comparison, and uh, I haven't tweeted it, but I'm like, no, she's not only Quentin Tarantino. She's she's Tarantino vampire mode from Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> like she really kind of does, and she's frightening. Like what? What is it with that side of the aisle where they they all have like the same, as I said, like the same mold, like the deranged theater kid mold of like Sandra Fluck, um, some of the other ones. Jen Psaki is a good example. Like these are all the same girls that are just walking down the hallway. You know, like it's it's like the Tracy Flickification of the Democratic Party. They're just very enthusiastic sociopaths. That's the only thing I can think. Yeah, there there are people who should be nowhere near power. Um, as like like I said, it's kind of the Tracy flickification. It's like whenever you I see her get into a car, I'm gonna throw a fucking milkshake at it. Yeah. Um. Uh, your podcast yesterday was good, although the beginning just killed me. I I actually said to myself, "Oh God, bring back the Applebee's music." <laughs> Yeah, I was. I think you're primarily responsible for me dropping that Applebee's ad in about a bunch of times. I might still do it. Uh, <laughs> I knew that one was going to get a lot of people. For people who, who don't know my podcast, I try to open up with a media clip every day, and people have gotten to the point where I think that they can guess what I'm going to open with now. Uh, if you if you see it on Twitter or whatever, it's the and, and I got a couple of comments on that. They're like, "Oh shit, we're we're gonna hear this tomorrow on the Versus Media podcast, or we're gonna hear the Mary Poppins tune." Um, it, it the thing that's weird to me is again how terminally online this Biden administration is, especially considering the last guy, and 
it's so it's it's funny to me like i think it was even the libs of tiktok account showed the adults are back in charge and it showed like all the tiktoks like the you know and they brought in the influencers and now you have this lady who you know I, i'm thinking like I, I i don't have tiktok i don't have it on my phone i think that that was tiktok was the limit for me on technology i mean i'm like i i have twitter i have instagram i have all the social media apps i'm like i'm done here i can't do this i'm not even gonna put this on my phone yeah and the fact that we just have like government officials singing mary poppins tunes into tiktok now it just it makes me want to boil my head it's fucking weird i it weirds me out but um i was gonna ask you i know they haven't really said why this is even a thing i think it's bizarre that that she announced it before anyone in the government did it was just like her twitter like hey by the way this is my new job and she had a portrait like she said here's my new portrait like here's my new photo yeah, yeah. I, I've and, they, and I know they that. wouldn't like, let her. They wouldn't let her do that without being like, "This is actually a thing." You know, this is the person they w- gave her the okay to announce it. But right, and we know that you know the White House has a um, nice relationship with the media, and and I kind of call it like a positive feedback loop where they put out talking points, or they you know they have palsy at a network and then they talk about something and then the white house says oh well the news you know said this and that right is this do you think they're kind of like legitimatizing that by making this an official thing even though they haven't really said why they are starting this at all or what this person is even going to be doing yeah of course they have you've seen we've seen journals like ben collins from nbc and we've seen journalists and even uh some online quote unquote fact checkers congratulate her on her job. And I, I think you're absolutely right about like kind of the positive feedback loop. It's it's access journalism. And for those of you who don't really understand what that is, you're in for a big fucking treat because this is the weekend of the White House Correspondents Association dinner. And uh, the best thing that came out of the Donald Trump presidency was eliminating that fucking thing. Um, for, for you new kids who haven't seen such just this incestual fucking sty that is the DC press corps with the Biden administration. Um, you're in for a fun fucking display. It's like the Met Gala just with the media and the president. It's, they call it nerd prom. Um, and it's something that is such a grotesque display that, uh, it's going to take your breath away, especially with the fact that, uh, that none of them are going to be wearing masks and Anthony Fauci's not going, but they're going ahead with it anyway. Um, but yeah, I I agree with you that it's strange that this woman kind of broke this herself on Twitter. It was reported in Politico, but yeah, this was not something that were like the Biden administration announced or Jen Psaki announced, or they held like a, a small press gathering for it and said, here's our new director of the board of governance and say a few words. And then she breaks out into fucking show tunes or whatever from cats (laughs) or whatever the hell she does. Um, I saw someone, I, every once in a while, I just get tweets across my timeline from randos that just make me crack up. And someone, someone, I think replying to my Jonathan Chait tweets at him said, I think we need to report this thread to Liza Minnelli. And I just, I just started cracking up. Just, I, I don't know why it's just a visual and like she is forever saddled with that. Like whenever she sits in front of Congress or wherever, everyone's going to be ducking under the table with the ex- expectation that she's going to turn into the alien from Spaceballs going down the counter uh, <laughs> with the cane and the hat. Um, but yeah, I am with you that I was equally 
put off. It was just weird. It's like, it it's is. like weird that this woman on Twitter just announced a new government agency and like nobody had questions. Like no journalist had a single fucking question about it. Like not, not a single journalist was like, wait a second, what is this? And who are you? And it, as I said, yeah, it's like, and then nobody apparently knew who this woman was. Jen Saki was asked about her and she was like, I don't know what you're talking. I don't know who this woman is. I've never heard of her. Uh, go, go ask the department of Homeland security. Yeah. And then I don't know if anyone asked the department of Homeland security who this lady is, but she seems to have a pretty cozy relationship with the media matters of the world. Yeah. I thought it was kind of telling too how, how that happened and, and everyone else in journalism, instead of asking who is this person? What have they done? What are their credentials for being picked? It was immediately, we must defend this person from any online harassment, quote unquote, at all. Which I'm just kind of like, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, uh, and I think like, there was a good chunk of Twitter that kind of turned into mean girls and making fun of her Harry Potter songs, which are fucking weird. I agree. Yeah, are. Um, and I just said, make her the face of this whole campaign. Like put, put her yeah. in ads. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's, and I think even Tim Pool said, like, that's kind of a distraction to what exactly is this board and what are they doing? Like, what powers have they been enumerated with? What government yeah. authority? And as I said, for, again, for you youngins, if you go back to 2011 and 2013, this is basically Obama's attack watch. Uh, Obama had an account called attack watch, which was, you know, we're watching attacks and we're going to stop smears in real time. And then OFA Truth Team came around with Obamacare. And we're going to defend the Obamacare. Truth Team, yeah. And this is no different. This is the exact thing. It's just now it's a department. It's, it's apparently a government department that has been given these powers. And none of us know what this is. They don't know what the authority is, what authority they have. Uh, Jen Psaki said it's, their goal is to stop disinformation from spreading around the country. W what does that mean? Are, are you going to threaten Twitter? Like, wh what's happening here? And if you've seen in the last three weeks, uh, as someone else has pointed out, we had Obama at the Atlantic Conference for Disinformation. Then Obama gave a speech at Stanford on disinformation. And now you have an actual department in the government on disinformation. So you have clearly uh, Barack sat down with his senile old friend that doesn't remember him. And told him, you know, this is what you got to do. We got to do this. And he did it. So, again, um, it, it is interesting that no journalist stopped and went, you know, from the Washington Post or the New York Times or Politico or anywhere and went, hold on. What is this and who is this person doing this? Because if this was the Trump administration, uh, this woman would be trending in all of their feeds for the last four to five days. Yeah. Um, last thing I was going to ask, do you have any predictions on who's going to take the cup or is it too soon to say? Oh God, I'm, I'm terrified. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of these, uh, I'm one of these people where I think I'm just writing it up as chalk right now, where I, I think it's going to be Florida and Colorado in the end. Um, I'm also terrified for my avalanche and, just because, you know, they fly through the regular season and then they get to the second round and that's it. And they hit a wall. And yeah. so I'm looking at the seating and you have Colorado versus Nashville. I, I think that Colorado takes care of Nashville pr pretty handedly. But then they get in with either Minnesota or St. Louis. And I generally am not a fan of how they set up the playoff seating now. 
um, it's like one place four, two plays eight, three plays, whatever. It's so, it's so fucking confusing. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm a fan of it this year. I'm fully willing to watch Minnesota and St. Louis beat the shit out of each other for seven games. And then Colorado will get a, a hobbled Minnesota most likely. But then you have uh, Calgary, Dallas, Oilers, and the Kings. And I think Calgary comes out of those four teams pretty handily. And Calgary, Colorado is, is one that I'm going to kind of be on about like right there. Um, I could see Calgary winning a seven game series there and going, cause there's always a fucking team that does that in the Stanley cup. Like there's always a team. It's never usually the, the, the number one seeds that go. So I, I don't know. Like I said, this year I'm tempted to just chalk it up and say, it's going to be Colorado and Florida. Um, but I, I could see, I could see just the way the seeding goes. I could see a Calgary, Boston Stanley cup finals. I could see a Calgary, Carolina cup finals. So, uh, but I, I think this year, I think Florida, Colorado is going to be it. And that I, I, I can't tell you who's going to win that series. That's just sit back and enjoy, enjoy some really good hockey. So I think you, you're, a, you're, a, you're a blues girl, aren't you? Yes, sir. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see you guys getting past the wild, but who knows? I've been wrong before with this thing. I'm, I'm, I'd rather play them than Colorado, but that, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting because Colorado was set up against Dallas for the last three weeks, and then Dallas lost last night, and they blew they blew a whole couple of games, and now they avoided playing Colorado in the first round. And I love that Vegas is out of it. I, I can't, I, I cannot, I cannot speak about how much I enjoy the fact that the fucking Golden Knights are not in the playoffs with their yeah. salary cap shenanigans. Um, for those not in the know who are kind of not into hockey talk. Uh, the salary cap does not affect playoff playoffs. So what a couple of teams have been doing is especially the Vegas Golden Knights the last two years is they will sit one of their guys. They'll put them on injured reserve. Who's one of their high salary guys. And then they'll go and make trades and they'll, so this year they went and got Jack Eichel from Buffalo, who's supposed to be really good. And then they sat two of their players until they make the playoffs and then they can play their whole roster with, without a salary cap. And people, <clears throat> excuse me, people thought Colorado was going to do this with Claude Giroux this year by sitting Landeskog. But I'm, I hope this rule changes. It's so stupid. But I so love the fact that uh, Vegas did not make the playoffs. So I don't know. I'm going to go with Colorado and Florida. Um, but like I said, every, every year, I mean, you could, we could end up seeing Calgary and the Rangers. Um, and that's just how it, 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 that's just how it falls sometimes. Yeah, it's exciting. I like I like playoffs. Yeah, there's nothing like it than- for for anyone who's not really a hockey fan. If you don't watch hockey games, this is where you start. Just just watch the playoffs. It's such an incredible different level of. It's crazy to me that these guys just bump this up a notch. Yeah. And if, if you go see live games, you, you wonder how any goals are ever fucking scored because <laughs> of just how small the ice is and how yeah. big and fast these guys are. It's I felt that same way like when. I, I don't go to many NFL games, but I went to I went to my Broncos played the New York Jets in New York a couple of years ago, and you don't get a size you don't get a feeling for how small a football field actually is until you see it. Um, like on TV, it's just the the field takes up your whole view. It's just green and whatever, and then you see it live, and you're like, how the fuck do these guys ever catch a ball? Like ever. Um, but yeah, if if for any of you out there listening, if you if you wanted to get into hockey and you just kind of eh. 
you, you really need to pick your city or pick your team and just watch one team and just watch playoff hockey. It's insane. Guys are going to lose teeth. They grow beards. They turn into fucking, you know, <laughs> they turn, they all turn into the Northmen. And yes. that's kind of pretty much what it is. It's playoff hockey is, is just like a fucking violent Viking porn. It's, it's incredible. Hell yeah. All right. Well, next week is going to be stressful for me because I think we have all seven games slated next week against Minnesota. So yeah, keep yeah. your fingers crossed, but I don't see it. So we'll see. We I, see. I've been wrong before. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Have a good weekend. Cheers, good to Vanessa. Talk to you. Yep. Bye bye. Not you're up. That was long. We just we, we this this turned from media and fascism into into uh, professional hockey. So that's good. Not what's on your mind. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? I'm okay. I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit, so. Okay, great. Yeah, I think uh, when I was on here last time, uh, you couldn't hear me, uh, and I got bumped, and I think it was because I was using my Bluetooth headset, and I think that isn't compatible with Colin for some reason, because no matter what I did, huh. it wouldn't work. Yeah, I'll ask you so about I, that. I, I, I used to use iPods, and then I listened back on it, and it sounds like I'm speaking with my head in a toilet. So I just, uh, I'm on speaker. Yeah. Now I just do speakerphone and it seems to work better. Well, that's what I'm on right now and it seems to be working. So um, anyway, but uh, yeah, I was at the uh, 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 Raleigh, North Carolina last night. Uh, Nine Inch Nails was playing at the uh, Red Hat <clears throat> Amphitheater and um, I went and uh, it was pretty crazy. It was the first live show I've been to since um, the pandemic, which is crazy to think about. But um, I was there and uh, it was a, it's an outdoor amphitheater and um you know, it was packed to sold out show and uh, nobody was wearing a mask in sight. So it was pretty, I don't know. It was kind of an interesting experience to kind of see, you know, people back to normal again, enjoying a show uh, without, without a worry. And um, I hit the downtown strip after and uh, uh, went to a cigar pub there and drank with the, the locals till about 2 AM. So I don't know. It was just a good, like we're finally back to actually enjoying life experience. Um, so that was cool. I wanted to ask about, um, nine inch nails. I'd never hear I, all the music you've ever talked about. Never hear you talk about like um, industrial. I was wondering what your opinion was on, uh, you know, like Nin Tool, uh, that all that good stuff. Um, and the other, the other more on topic question I was going to ask about was just uh, the how someone with a libertarian um kind of point of view, and I kind of share the same sort of points of view on on free speech, uh, absolutism, and things like that, but. Something I was thinking about with all this this stuff with Elon Musk and is uh, how okay, about about a year back or so I tried getting on to some like um, more like peer to peer social media. I don't know if you're, you know what I'm talking about. Not like <laughs> I'm not talking like dark web or anything like insane like or illegal like that, but just some some yeah. like unmoderated like peer to peer social media. And um, just because I wanted to like see what it was like and okay, what is and, and what I found was kind of like it ended up being like 4chan on like PCP. Where it was basically just like, you know, like actual Nazis and like, you know, dick pics, you know, every five seconds and like N words everywhere. And I was like, all right, like, I guess this is what unmoderated, you know, kind of social media is. And so I guess the question is, is like, how do you like, how do you facilitate a platform that is quote unquote free speech absolutist, which on, on paper, I'm in agreement with, well, with also without letting it descend into like actual just hell world chaos and, you know, just like, how do you balance those two things? Um, I, I, it, it's interesting because I, I don't think when when you talk about free speech absolutism, it's not talking about no moderation. Um, 
it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dilemma, but I think the answer to that is you can't fix the platform. You have to fix people. And we as a people are just fundamentally not good creatures when it comes to being online. Um, it's like Louis CK made the joke about when you drive a car, you just become a different person. Like you're, you're in a box of metal and protected and like a guy could cut you off and you'll threaten to fucking eat his head and, and, and kill his children, you know? And that's kind of what being online is. And I, and I wrote, I wrote at Fox news about this a few years ago where I just said, you're not going to fix platforms because you, you need to fix people. And until you do that, until we as a people are fixed, maybe we shouldn't even have the power of social media. And it's one of these, you know, side effects where all these guys in Silicon Valley, whether it's Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, you could argue Elon Musk. Um, although I would argue Elon Musk has a better understanding of what internet culture is than any of those guys is they all thought that, you know, bringing everyone together would, you know, solve problems in the world. Like I'm going to, we're going to make everybody, you know, have a voice and be connected and you could be connected to your family or you could be connected to strangers. And it's, and we're going to bring the world together and we're going to start speaking the same languages. And, you know, we're all going to solve problems, big problems together. And it turns out all everyone's doing is dropping N words and, and floppy cocks. And, um, so as far as like, how do you prevent it from descending into that? Well, I mean, we all have block buttons. We all have mute buttons. And I think that there has, you have to learn to kind of coexist with the nonsense. And I say that as someone who just, again, came, came of age with forum boards. And like you said, peer to peer and um, Reddit and 4chan when it wasn't such kind of a Nazi cesspool. Um, and as I said last week or a few days ago, if, if the worst thing that happens to Twitter is journalists and media de-emphasize it and it doesn't become the heartbeat of their world and Twitter just becomes like another Reddit um, where everyone's just posting their own content and their own threads and their own pages, uh, I think a lot of worse things could happen. Um, I was talking with people about this and you might see that. You might see Elon Musk turn Twitter into something like Reddit where there are moderators, where there's a politics group and there's instead of lists, you know, there's, you know, instead of lists that people have, there's Twitter politics and there's people who moderate it. Um, and we don't know who those people are. So there's a lot that he could do in that sense. And then those moderators decide, you know, what kind of content well, is allowed in those lists and in those it, tweets. It is a and bit so, strange. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just said, you know, I don't I don't pretend to have the answer to this stuff. And it and it's a tough question. My attitude has always been just block that shit. Just block it. You don't you know, but there's Nazis on the platform. I, I don't see Nazis on my timeline. I, I mean, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I don't know. Um, there's people I follow that, you know, kind of have nationalist tendencies. I follow a few troll accounts. Some of them are really fucking funny to me. Um, there, there's an account out there right now that makes me laugh on a daily basis and I'm, I'm not going to, and I will never retweet it. And it's called that N word Biden. And it's mainly, it's an account that, that curates and screenshots tweets primarily from black Twitter users calling Joe Biden, uh, N I G G A. And it's about like how Biden is going to ban menthol cigarettes or, you know, Biden hasn't canceled student loans or Biden, uh, hasn't renewed, you know, all, all of these topics, it's basically just black Twitter pissed off at Joe Biden and it puts in emojis to cover up the N word every time. 
And it's not, and it does, it's not the hard ER. It's that N word Biden. And it's just a funny account. I don't, I don't know why it's funny to me, but it's just, it is. It's hilarious the way it puts emojis over the N word. It's kind of like South Park, people who annoy you kind of thing. And that's my thing is if you don't like that stuff, then just block the accounts out. Don't go there. It really is simple. Um, I was on Ben Smith's podcast back a while for BuzzFeed and everyone knows how much I feel about BuzzFeed, but that's why I went on it. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'll come on to your podcast. And we talked about that. And, and he, and I said that just block these people. I goes, well, you don't probably get as many rape threats. And I'm like, you'd be surprised. Like during the 2016 election, I took more shit online from anybody else from national review because I enjoyed it. It was funny to me that you had all of these like white nationalist freaks just coming after national review. And, you know, you had people there who did, who didn't like engaging in that kind of thing. And I thought it was funny. Like, it's like, I kind of came up, you know, cutting your chops on being able to hold your own on forum boards and message boards and places like ain't cool news even. Um, and so I don't pretend to argue that this is not a tough problem. Um, and that maybe, maybe that's what happens. Maybe, you know, all the gab people decide to come back and, and do that on Twitter. But again, if you don't want that stuff on Twitter, then I guess you just ignore it. Now we know the media is not going to do that. The media will be happy to, you know, prop that content up primarily to show off to advertisers and say, do you really want to advertise on Twitter? Like Taylor Swift, do you really want to have an account on Twitter with all of these Pepe memes and, and stuff like that? And I, I don't know. Um, but again, maybe that's a way of doing it where you just, you, you have certain sections of Twitter and then you have moderators similar to how Reddit operates. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, that's kind of, in a sense, the way Twitter already kind of works. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe light Twitter users don't always see this, but I'm, I'm a pretty heavy, you know, Twitter user. And, you know, what, if you're on Twitter long enough, you know, what you I mean, because people, because like you, I think you mentioned earlier, you, you said, I don't even know if you realized you said it, but you, you use the phrase like black person Twitter, you know, or like black people Twitter. And it's like, there, there are these kind of like, what you might call them like subreddit. Yeah, there is. I mean, there, they, there is a thing called black Twitter and they proudly stand by that. So it's not like That's I'm, it. It's not no, like no, no. I'm labeling. I'm not. I'm, it's not like we're doing the Dave Chappelle racial draft here, and, and I'm no, labeling. No, I, I mean, it's, that, there is Maybe. a thing called like Black Twitter, and it is its own like subculture, like you said. Exactly, but the, and just like that, every, there, there, there are all these pockets of Twitter. You know, you've got you're kind of like, yeah, um, you know, intellectual dark web Twitter, and you've got you know, you've got sport, a, a tw- you know, in my case, like Raider Twitter because I'm a Raiders fan. Or like, sorry, by the way. You got like, you know, I mean, if you, if you, if you're on Twitter long enough, you'll stumble into these like weird deep pockets, like, you know, kink Twitter, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, or like whatever. There's it's like, po- there's like, but, like you play said. Twitter and there's like, yeah, there's exactly. some weird shit yeah, exactly. and everybody kind of thinks right. their own little pocket is the most important thing. And exactly. But you don't see, but like you said earlier about like, I, you're like, well, I don't see Nazis on my Twitter. Well, it's like the same thing. It's like, yeah, I don't see BDSM on my Twitter either because you're, you're not because it depends on who you follow. Right. And then you get kind of like you, you, you create these little cocoons that you may not even see. So it's kind of like you're talking about how, like, well, maybe Twitter will become Reddit where it'll be moderated in these groups. It kind of already works that way. It just invisibly because you have these pockets that are these little groups. And then you usually have like prolific accounts right within those pockets that are, quote unquote, shall we say, moderating. Not really. But you know what I mean? Like they're kind of the heading up right. that pocket. So it is. Yeah, kind of I mean, that works, what's but. funny is like you mentioned things like 
black Twitter or BD, BDSM Twitter and things like that, or, you know, there, there's porn Twitter and stuff like that. But here's the thing. We all know that exists, and yet we can coexist with that kind of stuff anyway. Like, there's nobody clamoring to get rid of the fucking, like, BDSM shit on Twitter, right? It's right. all It's all driven by news media and politics. And like I said, the best thing to me, like, if the best thing that happens to Twitter is the, the media industry, you know, like cable network news and newspapers and news outlets decide that they're going to de-emphasize the focus, the amount of focus they put on Twitter and tweets themselves. Uh, if that's the best, if that's, if that's all that happens, then one, that's good for journalism. It's good for the industry because these people are going to have to get out and start to actually report on things and get out from behind their fucking laptops. And two, um, it, 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 to me, it leads to a healthier media ecosystem to, like I said, where, you know, Twitter is as important as what the people put onto it. And whether it's the Biden administration who really, like I said, is a terminally online administration and a perfect example. And I've, and I've said this a few times is Ron Klain did a Twitter spaces right after the state of the union. And there were journalists on the Twitter spaces and Twitter spaces is essentially what Colin is kind of, it's just Twitter's version of it. And it's a shittier version and I think it was Jennifer Jacobs from Bloomberg asked him, you know, are you afraid that you're not getting the president's message out to the public? And Ron Clade said, what do you mean? I'm on Twitter. I'm doing Twitter spaces right now. And you just like you, you, you look at him and you want to study him like he's an ape, you know, like like what? Like you think that this is the public? It's not. And so you have a news media and a White House that puts so much overemphasis on what Twitter is that they think that this is what people think. And it. It would be no different, like sampling MySpace or Reddit to, you know, see what people think. It's just not kind of what it is. It's not a reality. It's kind of an escape. It's kind of what people do to kill time or to doom scroll or whatever. But it certainly is not like the mood of the country on what inflation is doing right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. My, 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 I guess my point is, like you said, there's all these pockets of Twitter. And yet somehow we all manage to coexist knowing that shit is on Twitter. Like I, I don't go searching out BDSM stuff much. Um, I don't know. I'm curious. I'm, I'm Twitter curious. Um, but that's my point is yet somehow we can all still coexist knowing that shit's out there. I mean, I've always said Twitter is what you want it to be. It, it's absolutely whatever you want it to be. If you want drama on your timeline, you're going to get drama on your timeline. And that could be anything. It could be, you know, politics, it could be media. Um, if if you want to go hang out with the fucking pepsters, and then you can go do that. Um, and you can also block any of that shit out. It's like the Tyler, the creator tweet, what, whatever is even cyberbullying, just look away from the screen, like block it. What are you doing? So, I mean, that's kind of the extent of my thoughts on it. Um, as far as industrial music, uh, I, I, I can go in for it for a spell. It's not my favorite. Um, you know, Nine Inch Nails had that brief turn in the 90s where they almost went mainstream with uh, whatever that album was with Animal and um, a few. And uh, when they were on the Natural Born Killer soundtrack, I think Trent Reznor's career is fascinating, how he went from kind of that industrial to, be, to becoming a film composer. And I think he won. I think he won the Academy Award for the Social Network for uh, the score for that. So uh, it's not really genuinely my thing, but I don't hate it. I'm not gonna. I probably am not gonna go to a uh, Nine Inch Nails and Tool concert. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's just not my main thing of music. I've gotten into a lot of Black Gaze 
lately. Um, and that's obviously for anyone listening to my podcast, Death Heaven and a few of those bands. Um, Slow Dive, I was talking with a friend who he's completely into industrial. He's completely into shoegaze and black gaze. And he just now discovered Slow Dive. And we were we were joking about it like this is a terminally ignored band. Um, and so I, I, I kind of fall more into that kind of stuff than I do straight industrial. Yeah, no, I, I, I got you. I'm not, no, Nine Inch Nails is my personal favorite um, band. I think Trent Reznor is a, is a genius. But yeah, no, his, his, his career is, like you said, is, is completely fascinating. And it's crazy how amazing they still sound uh, on stage. Because I, I was talking about, apparently Reznor's like 55 now, which I didn't even, I didn't even realize. But um, I guess it makes sense. Um, yeah, but, uh, all of our idols are old. I think Robert yeah. Smith from The Cure just turned sixty-five, and that one hurt. Um, and I did listen to the uh, the Deaf Heaven um, record, by the way. So thank you for introducing me to that. It was it was very good. Um, I feel like it, I feel like it's more um, listenable as like an entire. I, I I can't really like picture myself like listening to us like one song off the record. I kind of feel like you have to listen to it like as a whole album. Yeah, uh, personally, but that was just like, yeah. By the way, one last. They're very much like Sigur Ross that way. Like it's not the same music, yeah. but you, yeah. you can't just like go and pick a track. Like you just kind of play the album through and, and let it go. Right. One last wild card before I leave. I asked this as a question on the podcast once and uh, and didn't get an answer, which is fine. Oh. It was a, it's a really oh, obscure good. question, but I just wanted to throw a wild card out there and ask if you ever heard the um artist, very obscure artist, the California Wives and their self titled album. It's like the only one they've ever put out. Um, it's one of my favorite records of all time and like nobody knows about it. And I was wondering if you had ever heard of it or knew about it. I have not, but I just pulled them up. So, uh, it's one that I'll search for and give it a listen. So, but no, I, I, I have not, I, I have not heard of these guys. I could have pulled like the, I could have pulled like the, uh, high fidelity thing of being like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. As I'm sitting here, right. no, no. They, did, they did that song "Blood Red Youth." Oh yeah, that's great, man. No, yeah, that I, record. I don't know it's, who these guys are. It's not self-titled, I, it's, uh, but this art history is the name of the record. And you got it. So the, the, the opening track is "Blood Red Youth." Yeah, I, I heard the. Um, I was. I don't even know how I found it, but I. Uh, I remember list finding it right before my family went on a uh, road trip to um, Florida when I was a kid and like uh, when I was younger, uh, like a teenager, and I, I just listened to that thing. Must must have been like. 20 times through on the trip and I still listen to it to this day. So yeah, check them out. They're pretty good. But um, anyway, yeah, I think that's all I have to say. Yeah, he, they are on Spotify. So I've just saved the album as a 22 album. So uh, I will go ahead and give that a listen. If it sucks, I'm blaming you for losing okay. my time. Yeah, that's fine. No worries. Just, just letting you know. Yeah, I mean, somebody, somebody who doesn't think Nine Inch Nails is the best, you know, who doesn't have the greatest taste. So, you know, it's all right. But I can <laughs> okay. yeah. Whatever. I'm just not going to go to a show. It's interesting. You mentioned the show. Like I just, I went to Mitski a few weeks back and that was like my first show. And it was also the, it was like the only fucking show where it's the first show I've ever seen where I realized I'm the old guy. Like uh, the, everybody at Mitski looked like the cast of Euphoria. It was fucking weird. Like, cause I always thought she skewed older. Like people I've talked to her like in their thirties love her. And then I go to the show and they're all like kids sucking on pacifiers. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Um, and I'm going to try to get to Orville Peck here in the next couple of weeks. And so I'm real curious to see what that crap, what that crowd's going to look like. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was my first show. And it was the same thing. Like no Matt, there was, there were a few math. The interesting thing about Mitski is she, she made an announcement before the show to make sure to wear your masks. So everyone stays safe. And I'm like, is that pre-recorded from like last year? Because nobody's fucking wearing masks here. Oh. So yeah, I, I was um, waiting. I was cause... Reznor, Reznor is not, he, he doesn't get intensely political, but, you know, I think he did have some, 
Like, I, th- I think I do remember, like, some F. Trump kind of, like, you know, of course. on his, you know, social media. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I was just wondering if maybe at the show, maybe, you know, that he drops, because he, he did, like, a couple crowd addresses, and I was just wondering, like, okay, when's he going to drop the, you know, like, you know, why are you not masked? Or, like, what's, you know, what's, or something. But he never, he never did that, so I was glad. Because, I mean, you know, it's just, it was incredible to me. I mean, it was North Carolina, you know, which is obviously a, a red state, but, um, you know, there was just nobody, there's just nobody there. I mean, I think I maybe saw like one girl on like a mask or something like that. But other than that, it was completely, you know, and I just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just excited to go to, go to shows again. I, I, I couldn't, I can't believe, I could not believe that I hadn't been to a show in, in two years. It's just mind blowing. But, um, anyway, yeah. Day. Never forget what they took from us. Cool. Thanks. Not. Yeah. Have a good Cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up probably about 1230. I'll try to get our, uh, I'm sorry, 230. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to wrap it up here, here in about 10 minutes. So I'm going to try to get through all of you guys uh, that we can. So going a little bit longer than usual, but whatever. It's Saturday a.m. So Saturday a.m., p.m., wherever you are in the world. So, Michael, how are you? Give me give me some Sunday brunch thoughts. Make them good. Don't waste my time. No, I was just glad he went a little long. Because I needed to finish up my crepe and some homemade whipped cream with Grammy jam. Your so scrapple. thanks for going with me. Yeah, you know, uh, marmalade maybe. Crepes uh, uh, really are kind of like the top of the chain douchey brunch food. It, like there was there was kind of a whole fad like five six years ago where you know crepes became kind of the biggest big thing around, and you're just kind of like, no, it's just a flat fucking pancake. Like, come on, let's let's get on oh. with this. I went to my friend's house and they served them. I had no idea what to do and just dumped maple syrup on it and ate it. And they were like, did, they all did, stared at did me. Did your like friend have like a crepe dog. maker, like a crepe plate with the, with the annoying little oh, yeah, stick Mom that they used? Everything. It was all decked out. The, it was like I was eating with Downton Abbey or something like that. <laughs> you need, Michael, you need better friends. Right. I moved on. Uh, well, hey, I, I first, I just wanted to, Thank you. Well, now that's that's second. First of all, I'm really impressed with your listeners. You know, I've just been doing listening to call in here and for a while, and I feel like I'm out of my league. So, uh, really enjoy this. So, thanks for doing it. Also, thanks earlier this year uh, for the condolences on the pod for my dad who died of COVID last fall, and uh, wanted to make sure you knew. I'm my daughter also almost died from COVID, but we're still uh, we know that the shot no pun intended, is worth a shot. I don't think the vaccines should be mandated. So somebody coming from who's had a lot of heartache from it, it's just, it's a weird spot. My daughter's uh, play this weekend even got canceled because COVID's going through and they've got a couple of 80-year-olds in the show and you just kind of, we're still trying to figure it out. I live in Kansas, so it's pretty conservative. We're still trying to figure it out. So anyway, thanks for those condolences. How old is your daughter and how serious did, did the COVID get with her? She she was ten when it happened, uh, and it was called MISC, very rare uh, response. Her body thought she had COVID in every corner of her body, so her entire body was shutting down. Or they thought she had encephalitis, they thought she had pneumonia, and uh, they thought she had uh, uh, inflamed enlarged heart. So we've had to do echocardiograms. She came out okay, pretty healthy. The doctors here in Topeka, or I don't live in Topeka, but in Topeka they. They figured it out, and my wife was, you know, she Googled stuff while my daughter had a fever for four or five days. and But she had COVID a, a few weeks before, It's called, and so it, it, it's on set about four to six weeks for kids. One, It's about one in every 
100,000 or it might, I think it might even be a million kids who had COVID will develop this. So it's pretty rare. Where do you, where do you stand on, I know you said vaccine mandates, but where do you stand on vaccinating kids in general? You still think it's a good idea? Is it something that we should just let burn through? Um, obviously you, you have a pretty, it sounds like a rare personal experience with it. So you're probably biased, but I'm just, you know, curious from someone who's gone through that. Um, where are you on vaccination for kids and stuff like that? Great, great question. Uh, well, my other daughter who's 12, we, we did get her vaccinated so she could go on a choir trip this summer, but we didn't want to. Um, but it also helps eliminate quarantine. So it was really just uh, rolling with the punches. My wife and I are both teachers in a public high school. I'm an English teacher, conservative. That's pretty good. Yeah. I hope you're um, under a pseudonym. Michael, stop teaching uh, right? CRT for God's sakes. Stop it. Right. Well, I get to teach. I get to combat it. And But I've been called racist, but I've got a great principal who's like, we're not going there. So... <laughs> Dear, dear, dear. Uh, no, so I, if you have two, you have two daughters, ten and twelve. That's a pretty lucid age. Do they have opinions on the vaccine? Like, did your daughter not want to do it? Does she not like needles? Um, yeah, what, yeah. what are their? I'm, I'm curious. Like, what are their thoughts that you heard on it? Great. Yeah, my 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 twelve year old didn't want to do it, but she knew it was so we could travel overseas. Now there's like hardly any mandates, but they ended up canceling the trip but we had to get vaccinated in order to go and then the other daughter we didn't do we didn't do it she's scared we're scared because her body's response was to the idea that covid was in her body and it could right. quit so we have not given her the vaccine because we don't there's no research on what happens to kids with MISC who take the vaccine so we've avoided so how, that how hard is that on this trip. navigating red tape with her so because this and this is one of the biggest things that's kind of come about in this whole pandemic is nobody in our federal government takes natural immunity in to cause like, you know, exactly. anyone who has natural immunity is still not exempted from vaccine mandates. So how is it with her? Is there a red tape you guys have had to go through to you want to go somewhere or you want to get into an event? And it's like, look, <laughs> she almost died from COVID. Okay. We're not giving her the vaccine. Here, here's a paper. Here's a fucking, here's a, here's a hospital bill. How, how has that been like, like as far as navigating that whole thing with her or is that, or is that, is it not been a problem? Oh, it's totally a problem. It's why she can't go to Scotland with my other daughter and I, my wife has to stay home because you have to be vaccinated to get to go. So there's no, so, um, so walk me through. So let, you're, you're going to try to go to Scotland. Have, who would you appeal that to and say, look, here's, she has natural immunity. She's had COVID. She cannot be vaccinated. She's, you know, immunocompromised. Is it just like somebody at immigration or customs just goes, eh, sorry, sorry. That's just how it is. It is. That's exactly what it is, is the, uh, that we're doing it through a, a company that has, has worked really hard to figure things out. So I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but it's just on their policy that says you have to be vaccinated. Uh, we learned the difference between what's what's vaccinated, fully vaccinated and up to date. Up to date means you got the boosters. You don't have to be up to date. You just have to be fully vaccinated with the first two pokes. And uh, school like this. So my, uh, this past week, I didn't feel well. I had similar symptoms that I had for COVID in January. And they would've, that would have been the third time I had COVID, but I didn't get tested. Because I just quarantined from everybody and I, I didn't go to school 
and I didn't get tested. And I even told my boss, I didn't get tested because I don't want my daughter quarantined because she's at home, even though she's has immunity, has had COVID. We know it doesn't really matter. My dad was vaccinated and, and, and it killed him. So we're like, it's not the solution. So I just stayed away and didn't get tested so that my daughter couldn't, wouldn't miss any more school. So it's definitely tape and they, they wouldn't accept, um, they wouldn't accept the fact that she had COVID before that when she got quarantined a ton last fall because of COVID, the daughter who got the vaccination, she got the vaccination and four weeks later got COVID. And she's, I mean, she's young. She didn't have any real major response, just kind of bad, bad head cold for a couple of days. So it's definitely been a problem for us navigating a lot of things. Yeah. And my last curious question, you say you're a teacher at a public high school. Did they, do you guys, does the school district or the school lose the masks on kids? And what was, what has been the reaction from students, from teenagers with that? That's a really fun world we walked through. Uh, we, we had the pitchforks come out from the conservative side uh in the fall when the board decided to implement masks because we were a hot spot at the time but they said we would evaluate it each week based on the numbers and after about two weeks the numbers went down and the guy the superintendent was really good and he said look the numbers are down we'll take masks off if it gets hot we'll put them back on and we didn't have masks for a while uh, but then there was, unfortunately, they, people used a religious exemption to, um, cut it out. And they, kids were shut, were showing up without masks the whole year. I've never worn a mask. And they claim, and you don't get to ask the religious exemption. You're just like, so people were doing their little re- rebellion against it. But as teachers, um, I wore my mask and it, it was somewhat helpful. You know, I've tweeted Phil Kirpin a couple of times and he said, he apologized for his trolls telling me how stupid I was, but, it really did help me uh, wearing a mask. I didn't get sick very much, but, and when did I get COVID? When did I get sick? Well, when I didn't have my mask on and somebody came and hacked on me. So I don't know. I'm not a big, big mask fan, uh, but my daughter's show got canceled the other day because somebody came in with sniffles, thought it was allergies. And there's five or six people really, really sick right now. So this, that's what the school did is they, is they, they, they made it, based it, based it on week to week numbers we created our own covid testing area and we had a huge surge in um, november and december and uh we got put masks back on and then ever since he just keeps sending it out each week and we're not in masks anymore that's interesting and i mean of course that i mean that's the next phase of all of this is what happens this fall or what happens if there's a spike and um how do communities deal? Because I mean, that's that really is the next phase of this of the whole pandemic, which is we're out of kind of the day to day thing of it, and now we just have to wait and see: is it seasonal? Does it come back? Are we going to be wearing masks back on airplanes or in schools? Or you know, how how do communities adjust to that? So, and, and as someone yeah. obviously, when you're in public high school, you're kind of on the front lines of all of that. So, well, my brother, um, I guarantee my brother got COVID in December after my dad's funeral, flying back to North Carolina, and. There was somebody right next to him. Everybody's wearing masks, and the dude coughed the whole way there. They got COVID. He was knocked on his back for a week and a half. So I, we're still in the pandemic. We're in the endemic, uh, and masks didn't solve the problem for my brother. Uh, masks and vaccines didn't solve the problem for my dad, and masks and vaccines didn't solve the problem for my daughter. 
but I get what we're trying to do. We're doing our best. And that's just all I want. Just, just doing our best. Uh, I don't have the, the golden ticket to tell you to shut up, but, uh, I promise everybody's doing their best, but quit making it so political. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's, you, I mean, that's the problem is it's going to, is the longer it goes on, it's going to get more political. And, um, it's not, I mean, again, I, th- I think we're, I think where politics lost people was, you know, when everyone did everything right, we, you know, we did everything we were told. We shut down. We're boiling our mail, you know, wearing rubber gloves to the grocery store. We did everything right. And all of a sudden uh, we learned that if you were protesting for a political cause, somehow the the, the virus doesn't affect you. And I think that yeah, that's that when to watch that, from that, my that, yeah, that's kind of where we started down that road. And I don't think. You know, I don't think we're ever going to get that back. I think our public health officials, as human as they are, you know, there's like one thing you guys have to get right in your lives, and that's how to handle a pandemic. And it's like none of you handled it right. It was contradiction after contradiction after contradiction after contradiction, even to the point where, like, again, this weekend, you know, the White House Correspondents Association is going on with their dinner with no masks. I don't know what the vaccination status is, if they're checking it. I would assume because it's D.C. and journals and the president is there that you would. But Anthony Fauci's staying home. He's like, geez, I don't want to get COVID. And so he's staying home. And it's like they're kind of ignoring that caution. It's like, dude, either you're the leading health official who's been deified by our media and the liberal, you know, the Democratic Party, and he's like, "I'm not going. I don't want to get COVID." And they're all still just like, "No, we're gonna go. Fuck that guy." Like, it's weird to me to just be like how inconsequential he has suddenly become because they all want to throw their party. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm sorry about your dad. I mean, you're not. I, I mean, it's something that I, I don't think we've ever we, we've never stopped to go. I mean, holy fucking shit! Like, 14 million people are dead. And the people in charge have zero interest in finding out how that happened. <laughs> like, I was right. just, I was just, I was just talking about this the other day. I, I have a tweet saved on my computer from a woman named Heather Long. She is a Washington Post economic columnist, editorial board member, and she has WeChat messages from December of 2019, you know, from China saying this is worse than the plague. And she's like, we need a serious investigation to how this pandemic began. Nobody's interested in that. We haven't even had congressional hearings on this. Like, it's crazy to me. Like, 14 million people around the world are dead from this. And it's, and it's something that affected everyone. Like, everyone ha- has been affected by this one way or another. And the people in charge have zero, zero curiosity about getting to the bottom of this because of what it could mean for research, what it could mean for virology, what it could mean for science, and what it could mean for relations with China. And because we're not taking that serious, um, it's going to probably happen again, and it's not going to be fun when, it, you know, it's it's a more serious virus. So hmm. again, yeah, I, do, I am sorry to hear about your dad, but it's good news that your daughter, you know, made it through. Yeah, we're fortunate. There's some, there's some ga- people, you know, there's kind of a forum of us and th- their daughter can't even walk upstairs. It got her so bad. So, but Hey, I, I actually did have a media thing, but uh, I don't mind sharing where I'm at. Um, sure. In public education. Uh, mine was, uh, uh, the tension that I see uh, with the media and their hate, hate, hatred of DeSantis. I, I go visit Florida and I have a lot of friends in Florida and they love him. Uh, but, I saw a tweet this morning that 
caught what I was wondering uh, about, and that is the the progressive world hates corporate media. I mean, hates the corp hates corporations. Think corporations are evil, but yet DeSantis is the one who uses government power when conservatives conservatives are supposed to want small government, not getting in the way of corporations, and using taxation powers to punish Disney. And I I feel like everybody's kind of for a split second, everybody's switched sides because they've got to demonize somebody rather than deal with the real issue. So wondered what you thought, how the media and DeSantis and Disney and the pull, the switch of idea, ideas of what people are really trying to pull off. Is the yeah. Answer. I mean, I, I think, I think with DeSantis and Disney is pretty simple. It's the political right are the people who defend, you know, a corporation's right to, to exist in a free marketplace. We saw that with Mitt Romney. Corporations are people, my friend. And I think the simple message is, is if you're going to use that power to not speak out against us. This, remember, this isn't people want to lay this down as Disney simple ex, Disney simply exercise their First Amendment rights. Well, yes, but Disney also said that they're going to challenge these laws in court. They said they're going to lobby against these kinds of laws. They're going to they're going to unleash armies of lawyers to stop these laws. And so you're taking it up a notch to where this just goes beyond your First Amendment rights, speaking out that we don't like the parental rights and education bill. And they could have left it right there, and I think everything would have been fine. But Disney's decided to actively now campaign and try to govern against those laws. And, and whether or not you like that bill, that bill was passed by the Florida legislature. Everyone who who voted on that bill was sent there by voters in Florida. This is a duly elected state government. Ron DeSantis is a duly elected official by the people of Florida. And so for Disney, which is an international media conglomerate, to kind of come out and say, well, we're, we're, go we're going to actually put our thumb on the scale and fight these laws, I think is a whole new ballgame. And I think DeSantis's point is simply, if you're going to do that, then you're you're an opponent of this and we're going to treat you as such. We're going to treat you like you're a political party and you don't have to like it. I think stripping Disney's uh, of their of their special tax protections is a, is a politically risky move. It's it, because if that money, if that tax falls upon the property owners of Florida, that's going to be hard to explain. Like and they're talking a couple of thousand dollars. So I hope he has a plan. If, if it goes through, if this if stripping of Reedy Creek goes through, I hope he has a plan to deal with that. It's also a high-risk, high-reward move. It's it's one where it makes or breaks your political career. It, it could very well solidify DeSantis as the only choice in 2024, and that's even going against Trump. I was just having this conversation with Zed Jelani this morning. Um, I think – it's it's a different conservatism because our media has changed and the Democratic Party has changed where they couldn't stop the parental education bill. So what did they do? They put pressure on corporations to speak out. And this isn't the first time they've done this. They did it with Major League Baseball in Georgia. They, I think I think the Lincoln dudes are going after Toyota now. And that's their strategy. And I think even Josh Barrow is signaling the alarm on this going, guys, this isn't going to this is not going to work. I mean, Eventually, companies are just going to go. What do you talk? You don't have a power to do this. Fuck you! Like we're gonna, we're just going to ignore you. And the media is going to continue to use corporate, you know, their corporate interests to go against legislature. Well, if that's what, if that's the new, if that's the new play, 
conservatives and Republicans are going to fight back against that. And so whether or not you think it's conservative or not, I, I think is completely beside the point that the landscape has changed and the politics have changed and how corporations see their role with activists has changed. Like Bo Burnham had a great skit about this on his last special where he's like, what company, you know, what company defines us bagel bites? And, and so I just think that that's what it is. It doesn't, you don't have to like it or not like it. I'm looking at it objectively and saying, this is how it's changed. As I've said on my podcast, and I, I think that the way to do this is to just get out of the way. The, the Republicans and conservatives are pretty much the only thing standing in the way of Elizabeth Sanders and Bernie Sanders. Uh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders going to town on these companies and levying a 95% corporate tax rate. And so if I'm the Republicans, I simply step out of the way and say, listen, we were the only thing protecting you from those two lunatics, you know, the, you know, our, our most popular socialists in the United States government. Well, we're not here. To, we're not protecting you anymore. So have fun. And you simply just walk and you let Bernie Sanders off the leash and you go, OK, have fun, Bernie. Go after, go have fun with Walmart. Go have fun with Disney. I think that there's ways of doing that where you don't have to proactively infringe on the rights of corporations to operate the marketplace of ideas. Um, I'm probably in the minority on that. I, I think conservatives have been pushed to the point of of saying we've had enough of this we've had enough of memories pizza we've had enough of the masterpiece cake shop where this guy is just trying to run his business he's not denying customers who are gay he's denying a special he's denying a private contract with his conscience with his religious conscience which is protected speech under the first amendment and so i think we've had enough and i think we've had enough of being the punchline people forget obama turned memories pizza into a punchline at the white house correspondence association and that radicalized a lot of people. And I think what the right is looking for is someone who has Donald Trump's instincts without Donald Trump's fire hose of bullshit, which means somebody who pushes back on this shit, but who can stay, you know, focused enough to to push back in laser like precision. And I think that that's what DeSantis's mode is. DeSantis was also the first governor to speak out against this new governance board. He's he's consistently just out in front of this stuff. And I don't I don't know what to say. I don't know if that's an endorsement or what, but that's just who he is. He's he's aptly aware of where the cultural fight is. And I think he's aware of the fights that conservatives want to pick now. So I, I think the Disney move is politically risky, but people are, people are kind of picking up the media narrative of D Disney was just exercising their free speech. Well, no, Disney has threatened to unleash armies of lawyers to lobby against these laws, in which case, okay, I mean, I think DeSantis's point that this is a company based out of Burbank. I mean, this is a California company telling Florida which laws it can and cannot pass. And I think he has a point. I think it, my my disagreement strictly comes down to tactics, and that's about it. So, Michael, I'll let you finish up, and then I'll take Michael and Stephen, and we can all get on with our days. Hey, thanks a lot. I I'll, I'll get off. I've I've got a couple things I'll get to ask you another day. I apologize to everybody that it went long. I hope it no. was interesting. And no, helpful. it's no worries. One, like I said, I like to hear from people's stories, and like I said, it's it's good to hear that your daughter's on the mend at least, and it sucks about her show, but I'm sure she'll have another one. There we go. Bye. Cool. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate appreciate your story. Appreciate your thoughts. On to next, Michael, and then uh, Stephen. So bring us home, guys. Uh, 
and end this brunches for asshole session of call in on a bang for me. All right, Stephen. Uh, good to finally meet you. I'm an OG uh, Patreon subscriber. Oh well, uh, n- next time tell me. I'll bump you ahead of everyone. Oh geez, okay. Uh, f- first time I could make uh, call in because I <laughs> I'm on the West Coast and I have a regular job. So uh, yeah, we, we don't them, but, we um, don't generally cater to those to those folks to the regular uh, jobbers. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Uh, but yeah, I'm calling from the uh, uh, former People's Republic of uh, Chaz. Uh, so, uh, letting you know from Seattle, uh, I think the, the perfect brunch item is eggs Benedict for two reasons. Um, it is, it's something you wouldn't make at home easily. You really need to like order it. And thus it has the combination of, you know, uh, carbohydrate and protein and fat has everything good in there. And then the the second great part of it is it's so pretentious nobody would uh, naturally make it like it requires a snooty French chef to have come up with it. So that that to yeah. me is the perfect brunch. Uh, yeah, item. and if if you if you throw in salmon and spinach, those are always kind of the uh, the snooty ingredients ingredients as well. It, am I alone in thinking that every single variation on eggs Benedict is uh, always worse? Like uh, up here, yeah. people love Dungeness crab, and so they're like, "Oh, it's a crab Benedict, or it's a it's a this Benedict." And I, I every single one I found to be worse than a regular eggs Benedict. Yeah, that's you always get that in certain pockets of the country. Like they'll they'll always do their own variation in certain places. Um, and yeah, I agree. Like the, the further like the, the further lib state you get, the worse it gets. Because you don't even know if it's real crab. <laughs> they tell you it is, but who knows? Unless you're at like the French Laundry or whatever. So yeah, I would agree with that. Like in these pockets of the country where they're specialty foods, yeah, they, they always try to do their own little spin on it, and it never works. Uh, but they tell you it works, like whatever. But no, it, it just it doesn't. Like they put fish sauce in the in the, uh, the 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 mustard sauce, and it's like nope, no thanks, we're not doing this. Uh, there's something weird to me. I've always pieced it together with the liberal mentality because uh, it's sort of like in Jonathan Haidt's research, where he says the biggest indicator that you're going to be liberal is how open to new experience you are. And so I think the liberal politics always goes hand in hand with, hey, we have to come up with a brand new way to ruin food and make it stupider. And I think it's make the it same more equitable urge. and inclusive. We need to make food more inclusive. <laughs> Well, because we we have stupid crap up here. I don't know if you get it over in New York, but it's it's making its way up here. Of the, hey, we've we've increased the price and thrown in an extra twenty two percent tip to pay for our you know our waiters living, and I'm sort of sitting there. I was like, well, that's very generous of you, I guess, to give them my money and act like you're the benevolent one. Uh, but I I don't think that's uh, uh, too far off from the progressive mindset in general. Um, and so it's funny to me that that's always the intersection of, uh, how, how they feel about food is the same way they feel about politics needs, needs to be equitable. And we need to have a new thing where it's a huge craze. We all got to decide, you know, to me, when they all went nuts for like when kale becomes this big thing or, um, sea salt and caramel need to go together, need to be in everything for a little while. To me, that's the same thing as defund the police. 
It's we need a new thing where we all pretend it's the greatest thing. Yeah. And it, but we can't appropriate food, remember? We can't do that anymore. No. <laughs> Cinco, Cinco de Mayo is like a really bad day for us white dudes now. It it, it really is. And it, I don't know if you – even with my last name, um, my you, uh, Bruce Wales, you can guess that my uh, father is, is not a white man. Um, and he's presented on Cinco – DeMaio and would give like lectures on the history of it. And even he is deeply offended that anyone would try to stop people from making Mexican food. Um, now up in Seattle, most people can't make it correctly. So it's, it's notoriously bad up here. Um, but I was like, you know, if you let people give a shot, maybe some people would get good at it. Yeah, which is weird because you guys have a decent food truck scene up there. I know Portland does. So mm-hmm. you think like you think that they would at least learn to do a street taco or something up in there and, and introduce you guys to like some some pork so you guys aren't just shoving lobster <laughs> legs down your gullets. Well, um, I, I don't know if you remember, but Portland was the the be- in the kind of beginning of the woke culture wars. I think it was 2014 when the taco truck in Portland got shut down. And yeah. So then things got a little. Tense. Yeah. What was that? Then that was, was actually mm-hmm. about, wasn't it? It was actually about a white woman had a taco truck and mm-hmm. she was appropriating and Antifa went and tipped it over or some shit. And then mm-hmm. we had the case in New York City about the woman who made like a a new fusion Asian dumpling place. And for some fucking reason on Twitter, some activist found her and tried to shut her down. And then of course we had the, the lady, the food critic for the New York times had to apologize. It's insane. Like it's, it's lunacy that like the woke culture got into food of all things. Like (laughs) will you just shut the fuck up and let people eat. Like, can you at least just let us fucking eat like without you guys? I can't do that. You can't do that. Like, God, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to go look up what happened to her. But I do know about the place in New York City. And they bombarded her restaurant with negative Yelp reviews. Like, you fucking Ugh. losers. Like, that's why that South Park episode was so brilliant about Yelpers. It was so <laughs> fucking brilliant. It, like, God, that it might be my favorite episode. Because it's just how self-important. It, like, speaking on Twitter and how self-important everybody thinks they are. Especially with TikTok, which is deranged. But, uh, yeah, like, just, I can't believe it actually even spread. Like, will you fucking people just let us eat in, in peace and quiet? Let me eat without going, why are you eating Asian food? You're not Asian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the great irony of it. And in, um, cause I was, I was there for all three weeks of Chaz when that was happening. Exciting. And one of the ironies that did not, yeah. <laughs> one of the ironies that never got reported on. Um, you know, cause other than Andy, no, you, you wouldn't get much of an insight, but the, the designated like hangout was one of the few Mexican run Mexican restaurants that was essentially being held captive. Um, their business, uh, I was talking with them, their business was doing great. Uh, but they were one of the people that sued the city for, uh, letting people take over. And I just thought it was the epitome of like colonizing where, that was the Chaz hangout. That's where people like Raz had meetings. And I was like, they, they had taken that over. And I just found it hilarious that the peak of the progressive movement, they find a way to not only uh, find a space that only murders black people, but also colonizes the one Mexican restaurant in all of the downtown Seattle area. 
Yeah, it reminds me of Occupy when I was in New York City and Occupy was happening and they were meeting in the lobby of the of the Deutsche Bank. Um, that was their <laughs> <laughs> that was their chosen meeting space. And it was so funny. Like I saw I mean, I've told the story on my podcast that you've heard is like I, I went down and I saw Occupy for myself. And I'm just like, this is this is what this is both one of the most horrifying and hilarious things I've ever seen in my life, like with my own eyes. That is that is exactly how I uh, describe Chaz. I, I think Chaz was my, um, I, I won't say a, the red pill moment because I already was, but to me it was the, oh no, everyone I know is psychotic and I can't reason with them as though they're sane people because they're all supporting this and, um, you know, juxtapose that with how it's being reported and whatnot. But my friends asked me how it was and I just said, the one word that kept coming into my mind was pathetic. It's actually not, um, I wasn't afraid for my life. I wasn't, um, I wasn't impressed by any of it. I, I looked at it and I just thought like, wow, you guys can't accomplish anything The you just made everything uglier. It smells like pee. And that's all you, that's all you guys can do. And you, you, uh, screen you know the 13th amendment with uh you know ava duvernay or something and you know stick a feather in your cap called macaroni i guess yeah i mean that's 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 similar again you, you haven't thoughts again with like like occupy that's that's a i mean that's a good observation that these people don't really build much they're good at they're good at destroying businesses they're good at setting fire to shit but every time they try to experiment with their own autonomous zone, it fails miserably in three weeks because of their own philosophy. Um, it, it, it's, it, it is, and it's always a sight to behold. I always tell people there's nothing that pokes a hole in like media narratives than your own two eyes. Um, <laughs> because it's a very smart occupy, like what, how it was being reported was not at all what it was. Um, and Chaz, I think came under a little bit of scrutiny, but yeah, it's like, you just you had you had people getting murdered and like you said occupying restaurants and um, it was just reported as what do the people in the autonomous zone want? Let's hear them out. Like <laughs> let's let's see. And I think it was up on Capitol Hill in Seattle, wasn't it? That they cordoned off a few blocks because I've been up to that area. Um, and yeah, it's like I said, and that's that's a good example of. We just saw this political piece where the White House press corps announced that they're just bored. It's like Joe Biden is boring. And I'm kind of like, if you're fucking bored with everything going on right now, then you just need to get out of your job. Because I could walk in there tomorrow and ask Jen Psaki about six things. And I would get the condescending head tilt and everything. <laughs> um, and like I said, nothing, and this is why they hate social media. And this is why they hate you having a voice on social media or anywhere because they can put something out and you can fundamentally tell them this is not true. What is happening? What you're, what you're reporting is not true. I see this shit with my own eyes. Remember when, you know, someone made the point about $5 milk and all the Tom Nichols, again, not to pick on a wheelchair bound man, but all of them were like, Oh, that's you're, you're holding a milk in your grocery store. It's not, it's not everywhere. And it's like, you're, you're fundamentally telling people what they are experiencing is not happening. And like I said, the sticker shock people are feeling right now with inflation or with grocery shopping or gas prices. And your answer is just go buy an electric car. 
from the Nazi who runs Twitter, by the way, that's who we have to buy the electric car from is Hitler. <laughs> um, and you just throw your arms up and you just go, what, what is our media doing? They're not reporting on anything that's important to anybody. Uh, Nick Confessori from the New York times, who I generally think is okay. There's worse is out today with a huge story, another huge story about Tucker Carlson. And it's kind of like, who get like, you don't need to tell people what, who are you reporting this for? Because nobody who watches Tucker Carlson is going to read the New York times and go, Oh my God, he's a not, I'm done. And like, so it's these people write stories for themselves. That's it. They're, most of the stories written in journalism, places like the New York Times, or Washington Post are written for their colleagues and nobody else. That sums up the Atlantic to me, where mm. every single fucking thing that's pumped out of the Atlantic is strictly for their colleagues in the news industry to go. Yes, this is very good. Very insightful. But it's not interesting to anyone who has to pay 450 for fucking gas. I, I think about that a lot. Because um, I, I have a, uh, the, I, I work in a mixture of office and blue collar workers, and we all have the same break room. And what's funny is CNN's always playing, and the disconnect between what everybody is talking about in their personal lives, and then you go in and you just see like uh, the January sixth commission and every, all this crap. And I was just like, literally nobody I work with cares. Um, the, it's for the people who just already care about that. I think um, one of the things is some probably my two favorite political podcasts are you and Michael Malice. And oh, fuck depending that on who I, uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I've I've been a guest with Michael <laughs> several times, and he's been a guest on mine. So okay, don't yeah. go clipping that and spreading false news, everyone. So it well, it's it's funny because um, I know you guys disagree on a couple uh, things. William F. Buckley. Uh, in I, th I think we disagree um, on the pronunciation of either two or either. Okay. We had a moment during one of his shows where I said either or either, and he drove him crazy. Like he says, "What did you? How did you? Did, oh, like and so every every time I talk to him, I I continue to pronounce it that way just to drive him cuckoo. Oh, that's great. Um, and I think what's interesting is I, I listen to him and uh, there's times if I wonder if he's maybe in a, a bubble of his own of sorts um, because there he's very big on his like white pill idea of like social media. That's that's how we're going to win. We're going to show people, you know, we're we're red pilling people every day, um, you know, but to me, like sitting, you know, going through like Chaz was like um and dealing with people on the west coast um between you know my friends in seattle and bay area and uh los angeles i sit there i was like yeah like I i'm seeing some of my friends be like oh wow the media is really dishonest but at the same time then i go on my facebook and i'm like oh no every single person i went to high school with is a complete insane person um and so i was like that's that's always my alternate thing where i was like social media is this great tool where as you said, I just see things with my eyes and then they tell me the opposite. And I was like, well, obviously you're lying. Um, but at the same time, it seems to, it's not working on as many people, but the people it is brainwashing, it seems to work perfectly. And that's how you can get the Ron claims of the world saying like, I go on Twitter every day and that's the world. Um, you know, it's, and it's shocking. I was like the, the people running the country, are, are shockingly blindsided and brainwashed to this in a way I haven't seen before. We've had dumb presidents. We've had, um, uh, we've had people who lead that are either 
evil or have dumb ideologies or they're wrong, but never this one where I just see this collective, like, we believe in an ideology that just fundamentally does not comport with what is in in front of your eyes. Uh, they're they're going to learn about it, I think, in about six months. They're going to they're going to be in for a rude awakening. So it's interesting what you say about Facebook. My my high school girlfriend, who I was with for about two years of high school, who I've kept in touch with all of these years, all of these years, uh, just deleted me from Facebook because I wrote a piece about how the how the COVID vaccine does not prevent infection, and this was another you know thing that we were told. And she jumped on me about this, and she's she is a uh, she's she's I think an anesthesiologist or whatever, for, and she's been on the front. She's been in working in ERs with COVID and stuff, and so she's a little close to it. But uh, she kind of pushed that. Where where are you getting this from? And I linked to like New York Times, Washington Post, you know, not like Breitbart. I linked to actual these sources where they will convince these people. And nope, she she told me my words are killing people, and she deleted me. And I wish I was that cool. Like I wish my just my words. <laughs> I wish I wish my words could just thin out the herd a little bit, you know, you know, just just thin out the traffic, you know, so where I can get from point A to point B without sitting in traffic. I wish my words could actually do that. That would be a really good power to have. Um, but yeah, where you learn, you know, everyone that I used to know is kind of an insane person, whatever, like that. You can think about someone who's actually writing this stuff and and how many people I've just gone, dude, well. Or whatever. So, um, but yeah, Michael, give me some final thoughts. I'm going to take Steven and uh, we're going to get on with our, with our asshole brunch day. Um, I'll, I'll do two quick thoughts. One was, it's funny. I had a very similar experience. Uh, old, old female from, from about 10 years ago. I, I posted a joke on Facebook where I just said, now that Neil Young is off Spotify, if you want to listen uh, for disinformation, you can listen to his song about how Monsanto is giving kids autism over on youtube that was enough where she said you're killing people your disinformation uh (laughs) cusses me out unfriends me yeah and i'm sitting there thinking like do do you not understand what i said or was my joke so bad or am i is am i killing people by denying that monsanto is giving kids on i don't know what it was if if old Um, friends are deleting you off social media because of a joke it was probably a really good fucking joke I, I, I like to think that um, I'm I'm one of those people I, I keep my politics as uh, neutral as I can on Facebook, uh, but I have enough people that will message me and say, I can't agree with your criticism of John Oliver on this small thing because I will get in trouble. <laughs> I was like, OK, so that's where the bar is. Right. I say he's wrong on this one particular not very political thing. And you you can't agree with that or your friends will disown you. OK, got it. Uh, thank, thankfully, there's nothing I have like that uh, where uh, I don't know. I've, I've been I've gone to a I went to a very religious school and even the far right conservatives. There's nothing like that that will just get you mass unfriended uh, by people for saying something. So I, I think that's very interesting. Um, dang, what was my second? Uh, yeah, my, my only other thought is, um, I'll, I'll be very interested to hear, uh, it, cause it sounds like midterms will be a huge win for, uh, GOP in general. Uh, but I'm, I'm sort of worried what our long-term goal is for anybody who's to the right of Bernie Sanders, which is 
okay, it, are the only things we're going to run on are our only issues that uh, there should be police. Uh, you shouldn't be able to do fentanyl directly in front of somebody's house. And you shouldn't be telling kindergartners uh, to cut their genitals off. Because uh, at this point, that seems to be a winning message. But after that message wins out, I, I just wonder where where is the uh, Republican movement going or any of the conservative or any of the new right movement, anything right wing? I was like, what what are the new ideas even on the table, especially post COVID? Uh, I don't know. And they're certainly to fuck it up. Um, I think we saw like Kevin, Kevin McCarthy was interesting a few months ago when he was on TV saying, you know, we're going to take back the house and we're going to focus on tax reform. And he was just loudly like shouted down. Like people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, look at Glenn Youngkin who said, we're going to, we're, we need to fight for school boards. And yeah, like you said, we're, we're not going to have teenagers, you know, eliminating same sex restrooms or whatever. And here's Kevin McCarthy, like, we're going to do some tax reform and maybe some – and it's just like, dude, what what are you talking about? Like, you are so far off the deep end of of where the party is. And as I've said, I think if you look at Glenn Youngkin is, is a blueprint and just follow that. <clears throat> and I think it was Christopher Rufo today showed a poll where it's something like 21% of parents polled. It's like it's 28-point lead over the Democratic Party with parents. And then today we just have a piece from MSNBC saying the political right is weaponizing motherhood. Uh, like the f- motherhood is now a far right extreme idea. And I'm kind of like, are you idiots just going down the line of people you can piss off before an election? Like, OK, so parents are, are a threat. Mothers are a threat. Um, people who don't think that kids should be taught gender ideology in kindergarten are a threat. And I'm just kind of, and now and now apparently African Americans are a threat because you're just banned menthol cigarettes. Like, <laughs> what are you fucking people doing? And you're gonna and you're gonna try to forgive student loan, which is which affects most of the wealthy liberal class. Like that's where that money goes, and it's taken away from middle class because somebody has to pay for that shit. It's not just like that loan evaporates. And so, where where does the party go from there? Uh, I don't know. Part of me doesn't care because Joe Biden's presidency will effectively be over and I don't see how he wins again, even if he runs. Um, somebody should just tell him, you know, I don't uh, – you're president, Joe. Oh, I'm going to be president again. So part of me doesn't really care. Part of me is just stop this, like put a stop to all of this right now. And that's kind of hopefully for me for right now at least good enough um, and, and if history's taught us anything, whichever party is in control, it's going to fuck up their opportunity. Um, so again, if you're the GOP and you, you are the party of parents and school choice and no mask mandates, I think you're in a pretty good spot. And I think that that's a, a wave you need to ride for a while. So, um, go ahead and you can respond to that real quickly. And then I get it to Steven and then I gotta, I gotta jump off cause I have, I have movie tickets. I'm going to see everything all at once everywhere, whatever. So nice. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think it's that thing where, uh, it seems to me I'm much more positive about the Elon Musk buying Twitter thing than, than you are. I think it's almost an unequivocal good. And to me, I was like, well, here's a visionary. We had somebody who came up with an idea that seemed to be better than every single GOB idea for the last 10 years of, well, why don't we just buy this thing? And it's, 
it seems yeah. like a maneuver. Yeah, he can't make it worse. Is I think. Where uh, I'm yeah. I just I saw AOC get ratioed yesterday, and I said, you know, I I didn't say all hail our new king, but I said this is the way forward. We we can beat these people because they're not that great. Um, so yeah, that that's my thought. Uh, I guess we'll wait uh, till the midterms before we start discussing what what will uh what will be our plan uh, forward after that. So anyway, thanks for that. I'm gonna go uh, get some brunch. Cheers. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Uh, Steven, sorry to keep you waiting so long. We, we ran super over, but that's okay. Uh, bring us home, Steven. Bring us, finish off our brunch for us uh, today. No, no problem. Uh, I'm driving here, so I hope there's not really any background noise. Um, I'll try to make things quick. Uh, I want to talk about like three to four things, um, and briefly, of course. Uh, natural immunity, uh, Joe Biden's gift that he dropped to us this week, um, and San Francisco. I'll start with natural immunity. You said that like no one's really been paying attention to it. Uh, one thing about this is flights out of the country and into the country. So the State Department lets you not need a test to get back into the country if you've tested negative within like 90 days. That's like the only natural immunity exemption that I'm like aware of at all. I don't know how it is now, but that's how it was in August of 2021. Huh, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. My brother does traveling over to Sweden uh, a lot. And so he's back and forth on Europe. And I think I, I know that he does. I think it's a negative test to get back into the country, but I don't think it's a test to get into Sweden or it's something like that. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Um, and uh, I'll start off with the second one. Uh, in this like crazy heightened environment with midterms looming and uh like a huge advance in GOP right now. Joe Biden had a some type of a speech and he was like talking about kids in the classroom. He's like, they're not other people's kids. They're yours in the classroom. Yeah. And I tweeted from my burner account and I was like, new ad just dropped and I tagged you in it and you ended up retweeting it. I thought that was really cool. Oh, well, now that I know that's you, I'm not going to retweet it anymore. Don't tell me. Like <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. No, I mean, that's, I mean, people keep thinking these are slips where you know, Randy Weingarten and, and these people and teachers on TikTok are like, these aren't your kids. And they're not slips because you have Hillary Clinton. It takes a village. We, we all need to pitch in to raise kids. And a few of you might remember Melissa Harris Perry at MSNBC a few years ago who said, we, we need to wean people off the idea that children belong to parents and not to the community. This is what they believe. This is, this is 100% their philosophy that you know, he said, and Joe Biden said it, he said, you know, when a kid's in the classroom, it's yours. It's all of our, they're all of our kids. Yeah, that's an ad. And until they revamp that thinking, or at least put it into the box where it's less obvious, they're just going to get fucking creamed. I mean, I think people, parents in particular, aren't that political, but you come after their fucking kids and you're going to watch how political they can be. And I think that that's where we're at. So, right. Um, third story is uh, San Francisco. They have like a homelessness program where I think they use like 162 million dollars, maybe, uh, to put like homeless people in hotels and stuff. And I saw like stuff about the hotels, like you know, they brought their tents inside their rooms because uh, it's so infested with rats now, and like the bathrooms are unusable. Uh, one person literally slept in a tent inside their room so that rats couldn't get in. 
Um, it, it's just an absolute dystopia. It's just indoor camping. We've all done that as a kid. Everyone, um, every one of us has like put a tent, pitched a tent in our room, and you know, then we, you know, we, do, we use a flashlight and like whatever. I don't see the big deal there. Um, San Fran's interesting. I'm I'm watching Michael Schellenberger's candidacy, and I don't know how successful it's going to be. Um, and there's, and there's, I think a woman named Michelle Trandler on Twitter, who's just like someone who had one of those red pill threads, like what's going on in San Francisco. We're supposed to be the most like liberal humane place on earth. And there's dudes just taking dumps inside McDonald's. Like what's going on? Um, yeah. And I mean, you see what's happening in San Francisco. It's just fanning out the cities like Austin and Salt Lake and Denver. And, um, this is another huge election issue. It's, I can't imagine people caring about January 6th when, you know, they have fucking people pitching tents on their lawns. And like I said, it's, it's really is just that simple. So, uh, Steven, anything else to quickly finish us up with? Um, I wasn't talking about the mini ministry of truth. I think that's already been covered. I'll just end with one final thing about the NHL playoffs. I do think the blues have a chance to be a legitimate dark horse. Uh, I hate the playoff format. It should go back to one to eight because the blues abs, um, Calgary and Minnesota, they're like the top four teams, and two of them, as in the Blues, Wild, or Avalanche, pretty much have a guaranteed exit within the very first two rounds. I think it's ridiculous, and it makes my head boil. But uh, Yeah, I and I also, I mean, the other thing about it is, like, in the Eastern Conference, you're going to get Tampa Bay and Florida in the second round. Probably. Yeah, and last year, that was, and like, the first round. That's, that's, that's a, I mean, that is a general complaint that, like, everybody makes. It's like you have the two best teams – of each conference playing each other in the second round and not the third round. Um, I'm with you. I'd like to go back. My ultimate thing is I'd like to see um, not, not an Eastern or Western conference. I like to see them go one through 16. So one place, you know, <clears throat> so no matter where you finish. Uh, so like, let's say it, so I guess it would go Florida, Colorado would be the first two teams. And you, you take the top 16 teams, one place 16, two place 15, three place 14. And because that's a good way to me of mixing up rivalries. So you could have Colorado play Toronto in a second round series. You see what I mean? Or you could have, you know, Colorado or you could have Minnesota play Boston or you could have Colorado play the Rangers. And I mean, the problem you would have with that is you could end up with like, you know, a color a, a Rangers Pittsburgh Stanley Cup, which means thirty fourths of the country in Canada aren't going to watch it. Um, but as far as like mixing things up, if you were going to do it, that would that would be what I would do. I would do one through sixteen, and that would give you some really kind of interesting matchups um, that t- with teams that aren't used to playing each other. So you know, you c- you could end up with you know Detroit playing Toronto in a in a first round series, which could be fun. So, but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the last two to three years that they've done this. You're right. Like you get like, I mean, Vegas, Colorado last year or two years ago, whatever should have been the, should have been the Western conference finals. And then you just end up with like a mismatched Stanley cup final. Like we saw with Montreal and Tampa Bay. So that, that's one thing I did like about Colorado playing Montreal or I, I don't know. They did, they, they didn't play Montreal or somebody I forgot. Um, but you kind of ended up with a weird finals with, you know, Montreal playing Tampa Bay. And that's kind of a, odd final but that's something that i like but yeah i'm totally with you man i i hate where the best teams are playing each other in the second round like the last uh i forget a little bit of the timeline here but toronto and boston 
there was a time whenever it was like Tampa, Toronto, Boston is one, two, three in the Eastern Conference, yeah. and Toronto, Boston play, and uh, I don't really remember the rest. Tampa probably beat, I think Tampa. Beat yeah, Boston all we know is that Toronto play. constantly fucking blows it. That's all we know. Yeah, they and, play Tampa now. Um, yeah, they're, they're, Toronto's not going to have a good time in the first round. I think Tampa just beat them like five to nothing last week. So yeah, it's, it was a, it's, I think it was like a really big scoring if, game. I think if bad if you're on the game. Maple Leafs, you're going to have a bad time. So, um, who's, who's your, to just wrap everything up, who's your cup pick, Steven? Uh, I have to look at the bracket a little bit more, but I do think, and. Oh, you broke up, so I'm just going to assume you said the Colorado. Yeah, you just broke up, so I'm going to just assume you said the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, okay. Uh, I think, I think I lost your, you're breaking up, so I'm going to kind of. I'm going to uh, kick you out here, Stephen. But I, I, that's all I heard to, to wrap things up. Stephen said the Colorado Avalanche are going to win the Stanley Cup. So that's good. He's, he knows his stuff. Um, holy shit. We ran really super fucking long today. Um, I, didn't really intend to, I didn't really intend to do that, but we did it. So I appreciate you guys sticking around. Um, a little bit of a smaller crew today, but that's all right. So this has been episode 15. Versus Media Live, brunch is for assholes. And as I noted, this is our brunch, so we're all assholes here. Thank you for your pretentious brunch suggestions. Um, I will be back on I will be back on Patreon. Can, can you hear me? Uh, I don't know. Can you? Sound? Okay. Um, I will be back on Patreon for uh, Tuesday podcast. I also will be on Kennedy Tuesday night, so turn into Fox Business for that. Um, and uh, I will probably be back here for call in probably sometime midweek. So I'll schedule something and uh, we'll, we'll pick a different, we'll pick a topic of the week. Like we usually do set it up and then uh, we'll just listen to you guys. So again, thanks everyone today for sticking with us. We just, we basically went the length of a star Wars movie. So that's pretty cool. Um, And at least this is more tolerable than the Phantom Menace. So thanks again to uh, everyone for your, your stories, your insights, your thoughts, uh, your, your, your fun and your jokes. Like I said, I enjoy doing it this way. I know it's not for everyone. But uh, I do appreciate he- hearing from you guys uh, more than, like I said, I do with the uh, the uh, the ugly, uncomfortable blue checks of Twitter. So once again, thanks for joining in. Uh, I'm Stephen L. Miller. This has been Versus Media Live, and uh, it's time to go go about your weekend, everyone. Have fun. Cheers. <laughs>